Hello and welcome to the Weekly Stuff Podcast with Jonathan Lack and Sean Chapman. We are here as always to talk about stuff and this is part two of a two-part kind of catch-up episode. Yes. How I spent my summer vacation. The Jonathan Lack and Sean Chapman story. Yes. <laughs> that makes it sound like we spent the whole vacation together. <laughs> Which is not true. In we, we haven't seen each other in two months. Yeah. We haven't communicated in two months. But it's something where it's like, you know... It's a story about both of us, and it's not about us, the us, the, like us two characters meeting each other. It's that like our storylines thematically parallel each other. Absolutely, yes. We, we we met each other in spirit because we both played Batman: Arkham Knight. Yes, which will be I, I think the main focus of this episode today. Although there's a bunch of other little odds and ends we're going to yes, keep going through for sure. If you didn't hear episode 111, that was part one where we just we talked about some movies, we talked about some games, and just random stuff, kind of to. Get different things off our chest as we head into the fall and, and clear the slate for yeah. Doctor Who and all sorts of other yes. stuff. Speaking of Doctor Who, we have a premiere date. I don't remember. It's in September. Yeah, so the, that's exactly where I am. Like, it, it was definitely in September. Like, that's where I am with, like, release dates for everything now. It's just, yes. like, it's... I get the month down, and maybe kind of, like, the first half or the second half. Beyond that, I can't afford to remember that shit anymore. Yeah. So, um, obviously we will do what we always do with Doctor Who when it starts airing. Yes. Is we'll do our weekly recaps and everything. I'm so fucking excited for that new season. Yeah. I've, Have you I've, seen any of the trailers? Um, no, I actually avoided watching it. Okay. Yeah. They were good, that's all. Like that, I got really close to watching the trailers, like, yeah. ah, there's no reason for me to, like... Right. I don't need to be persuaded to watch the new season of Doctor Who. Because usually when I watch a trailer, it is most legitimately out of just, like, I'm curious about this movie. I'm, like, I don't know if I'm going to go see this. With Doctor Who, it's like, there's no fucking world in which I would not see the newest episode of Doctor Who as soon as I possibly could. I've seen, like, over 800 of these fucking things. I'm not stopping now. No. Uh, all I will say is that you see the Doctor and Clara together again, and I'm like... And I was just immediately reminded how much I liked the last season. Yeah, yeah. I'm how... really excited to... I'm going to rewatch the next season yep. when it gets closer to this one. I think it just came out on Netflix, maybe? Yeah, yeah, so, it definitely did. Okay, nice. Yeah, so if anyone listening to this podcast hasn't caught up on Doctor Who, like... Season 8 has yeah. a terrible beginning and end, but in the middle, oh, it's gold. Yeah, really good. And, like, I think this is the first time that Netflix has been, like, caught up on Doctor Who right. by the time the next season comes around. Like, they've usually been, like, a season behind. Like, so now, if you're someone who wants to jump on board, like, you can fucking go for it. Right. And you can just start with an unearthly child and work your way up. They don't have all of it. <laughs> no, yeah, they don't have anywhere close to all of it. <laughs> but you could start with Chris Eccleston and work your yes, way up. Yes, that would probably be the same thing to do. Yeah. Or, you know, start with an unearthly child... Do little bits and pieces from the rest of the series, and then, yeah. Or, if you want to be cool like me, you just fucking say, Fuck it! I'm just going to ruin my life for the next year. And I know in years past we've tried to do a fun, like, Doctor Who lead-up episode before the new season. I don't think we will this year just because I don't know what the topic would be. We don't have a new Doctor, yeah. we don't have... We've done we've done retrospectives. I think we're just going to get into it. And, we'll and, and do... we're, we're honestly running out of, like... Like, cause it's so, like we're ready. Yeah, we're running out of specific topics. At some yeah. point, you it would just be you'd ask me, "What are three pretty good episodes of old Doctor Who?" And I'd be like, "Oh, we can watch these three, and then we talk about those three. Like that's the point where we're at. Like, and maybe someday we'll do something like yeah, that. Yeah, but not before September. So yeah. we will. But we will talk about the new season, obviously, and and we're excited for that. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Let's see. So what else should we talk about, uh, Sean? Yeah. This I think will be a video game theme episode. Okay. So I want to start with my new video game obsession. All right, let's do this. All right, so. Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain, yes. is coming out September 1st. Yes, it is. For every platform under the sun. And 
because of that, uh, Xbox Live, there have been discounts on this game, but also Xbox Live put it with games with gold, Metal Gear Solid Five Ground Zeroes, which is the like prologue separate prologue yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, and if you've played other Metal Gear Solid games, they usually actually have a prologue in there, yeah. and this was clearly just the prologue to that game, and they cut it out and sold sure, it yeah. separately. Hideo Kojima has said that, so... I mean, yeah, in Metal Gear Solid Five, you're playing as, like, an, effem- an effeminate man with, like, a... with blonde hair. You mean two? Yes. No, I was making a joke oh, okay. that, like, that's... That's the whole thing with Metal Gear Solid 2 is the prologue, you play as Snake. In the actual game, you play as Raiden, who's actually probably a more interesting character than Snake. Oh, fuck you. Raiden sucks. Snake fucking sucks. Snake is awesome. He's Snake not the most complex. Snake is the biggest loser. Snake fucking, for his own self, picked the codename Iroquois Pliskin. Like, the character in the universe is himself such a big fan of Escape from New York. He picked that name. He is a fucking dweeb. I like Let's Snake. Let's do it. Let's talk about anyway, this. Anyway, so... I played Ground Zeroes because it was free, and I just kind of on a whim, and I've been curious about that series. Yeah. I really liked it. I didn't know a lot about the story, obviously, going into that, so I couldn't follow that. But yeah. I just loved the gameplay and everything, so I just realized I really liked this. And my espionage thing that I talked about in the last yeah. episode, I like spy stories and stuff like that. Tactical I, espionage action. Yes. I, I'm clearly into a lot of the same things Hideo Kojima is. Yeah. And uh, so... Look, it's really easy. There's You buy one thing on Amazon. Metal Gear Solid, the Legacy Collection. It gets you absolutely everything. You put it on your PS3, you boot it up, and you start playing. So that's what I did. Oh, and right. I played Metal Gear Solid 1 for the PS1. It's one of the one of the only games from that generation I think I've actually played to completion because yeah. it's kind of tough to play PS1 games now. Yeah. I think Metal Gear Solid 1 actually holds up pretty well. I think it holds up fantastically. Yeah. It's a great game. And it's... In fact, I think, like, it is... In its own way, like, the most consistent of the metal... Like, I've only played the first three. Okay. And in my opinion, that's the most consistent one. It's not like three is my favorite that I've played so far. Metal Gear Solid 1, it was like... other Like, at the end, it starts to go off the rails a bit when it starts talking about all the gene shit. But for the for the majority of the game, that one felt pretty focused to me. It is... I think three is very focused, too. But we'll get into that. Um... But anyway, I liked Metal Gear Solid 1 a lot, and I think it was kind of... It's just an interesting piece of video game history to me, because yeah. if you look at how much story Kojima and company were able to tell in that format with such limited technology, and you forget about the technology so quickly in that game, I think, and you just kind of fall into it, and the character work and some of the stuff with atmosphere and music, it really is a yeah. masterpiece. It's amazing, and... I, I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those games that came out in 1998 with, like, Half-Life and StarCraft in Ocarina of Time that's just, like, yeah. makes that, like, a year in the history of video games that, like, will probably be unsurpassed for all time, just in terms of, like, yeah. so many genres and so many styles and so many, like, aspects of video games were completely revolutionized in that one year by yeah. so many different games. But anyway, I've since played, I played that, I played two, I played three, I'm playing four right now. And I'll just... Maybe we'll do an actual episode on Metal Gear before or for The Phantom Pain. We're going to have to. We're going to have to. I'll say this. And this is the bottom line. I could... I can easily understand why people wouldn't like Metal Gear. It is so its own weird thing. And you have to like a very particular kind of gameplay. And you have to be able to put up with a very particular kind of storytelling. Yes. And I get that. And so I'm... But I think... Here's the thing I love about it and I value above all else about this series is it has a voice like nothing else. If nothing else, Hideo Kojima is an auteur of video games because he has this very specific identity and you can look at his work and say that is 100% pure Kojima. And even when I think it's not working, like the last couple hours of Metal Gear Solid 2, which are gibberish. They're they're utter gibberish those last couple hours and they're kind of hard to get through. But can I, you imagine Metal Gear Solid 2 was going to be the like he wanted that to be the last game. 
Like, can no you sense. imagine the end of that game where the last thing, like, the last actual significant story beat that happens is fucking Solid Snake jumping off of, like, that platform to fall out liquid. It's like, how oh, is Oh, there's that? way more past that. Oh, yeah, but, like, I mean, in, like, yeah, the yeah. actual story of Metal Gear of what's actually going on, like, fucks right. off in that direction with Solid Snake and Raiden just gets left behind with, like, Solidus. They're like, yeah. well, I guess we have to wrap up this shit. Like, I don't yeah. know what we're doing. But, you know, even with that stuff, I do appreciate, because I think... Video games are at a point where they're kind of like movies, and they have been for the last generation where I think there's a lot of homogenization, and there's a lot of, this is the same, and this is the same, and this is the same, and just, you know, all the Call of Duty clones and stuff like that, and just the whole period where I think we're still in, where everything has to be open world, and everything has to have a billion quests, and the Ubisoftication of games, and that kind of thing, and I, I appreciate when you get a voice, and also because games, and this is one of the great things about games, is that they're so collaborative, and sometimes that's awesome. Sometimes it's also nice to get something where I think you clearly have a voice at the helm of things, sure, who has yeah. his own interests and fetishes, and whatever else, and even if I don't like all of it, I'm just kind of in awe that these things exist. And, and sometimes it makes legitimately great moments of art. I think there's yeah. a bunch in solid one and two, and, or one and three, and in certain moments of two, where my jaw just kind of drops. Because I think the whole system where, like, the codec system, like where you bring up your codec and you can call people and talk to them, and they've recorded and thought about enough dialogue and story stuff there that you can call at any time, and it feels like something Snake would and should do in that moment because yeah. he gets something out of it. Or the smartest thing in those games where, where you have to go to save, you have to talk to someone, and that becomes this whole relationship you have with the person. It's at its best in Solid One where you have Mei Ling, and she has yeah. her different quotes for you. No, it's at the best in the tanker section of Metal Gear Solid 2 where, where Otacon, Otacon is trying is, to be Mei Ling. he's trying to give you the proverbs, and he doesn't understand what they mean yep. that is probably the best Metal Gear ever is it ever will be is like those handful of conversations are so fucking good but I think they do a good job bringing it back in 3 with yeah, Paramedic with I love Paramedic I love Paramedic uh, 2 is the Rose stuff is awful in part because <laughs> by the end I couldn't is Rose real or not she's, she's an AI right she's both okay anyway that made no You're sense you like this is, I haven't played Metal Gear Solid 4 But I know enough about Metal Gear Solid 4 Yeah To know that you're going to see some more Rose Well yeah and I saw her name in the credits of 4 And actually that's the thing I dislike about 4 the most so far Is it ditches a lot of the things I love about Metal Gear And it makes me It's that question I think we ask about Halo now for instance Of sure. how much can you change this thing Before it stops being the thing Yeah And clearly I've played parts of 5 We're getting back to that They pulled back and, and found a more interesting way to modernize it But 4 like has autosave and stuff And it's like I don't want autosave I want to call someone and talk to them because that's... I want someone to talk to me about period appropriate movies Yes To this guy who has no fucking interest in, in movies. movies It's great And I think just the way Why I think Snake is a good character Is because he has a very specific personality That bounces off of other personalities sure. interestingly Particularly in that Codex stuff And I just I... I really like that And yeah 2 has messy parts to it But there's just Oh I'm talking about Great artistic moments So there's all the stuff With the codec I think in Metal Gear Solid 1 There's these great moments With Meryl If Meryl dies at the end David Hayter's Well she act- doesn't Like there's That game has two different endings I know if yeah. she, I said if oh, she oh, dies. oh I thought you said She does die yeah. If she dies in the end You have this great moment Where David Hayter Kind of acts the hell Out of this scene Where he's talking about His failures That's great The way they use music In that game And in 3 particularly um, just some of the general stealth action in 2 And the, the general chemistry box of this thing I think is great I think the games all play very well I thought I was not going to enjoy 1 and 2 
I thought I was going to have trouble getting into them because that was before we had cameras and video games. Yeah. And some of that stuff before, is hard to figure out. It was out. like before anyone had figured out what a third-person shooter was, basically. Right. And I actually those. think they work very well, in part because they're not action games. Like, if you try to play it and you try to shoot and stuff, that's never fun. It's the stuff that makes it fun. I don't know. Metal Gear Solid 3, if you just fucking say fuck it and stand up and pull out, like, the fucking light machine gun and just... I'm just gonna kill everybody. That game can be pretty easy if you play. Okay, that. well, I never had fun that way, but I think the stealth is good. And then three, if if we were to redo our top ten video games list, three would be on there for me. Really? I wow. love Metal Gear Solid Three. I part of it is my James Bond fetish, which Kojima shares. That game is maybe the best done James Bond knockoff I've ever seen. That's that is that is a very apropos statement. Like that is yes, because like in, just, in a lot of different in a ways. lot of ways, like the the theme song. If that, so if that were one of the James Bond themes, it would be one of the best ten James yeah. Bond themes. No question. It is amazing. And the actual you, you sequence that goes along really with it. really give credit to a theme song that can pull off the line, Someday you eat, Some Days You Eat on a Tree Frog. Yep. And, in uh, Russia, apparently. Yep. And like just the way they work in the phrase snake eater, like the old James Bond themes would, where it makes no sense. Like snake Moonraker. Eater. It really reminded me of Moonraker, actually. Yeah. But then I think the way it like it gets the Bond girl better than a lot of the Bond movies get the Bond girl. Sure. That whole thing is done well. I think and then I also think Big Boss is a is a more interesting character than Solid Snake. Yeah, Naked I like, Snake is a lot more interesting than Solid Snake. Because I and I really like the arc of that game where by the end you real it's kind of funny cuz i almost think 3 is being responsive to 2 where 2 is clearly just this big meta essay on game design and i think or it's, it's trying to be and i think it fails like every step of the way like, i think it doesn't fail every step of the way but it bites off more than it's, it can it chew it fails by the end. in every way that counts to me okay. like and this partially comes from me like watching a bunch of YouTube videos and reading a bunch of articles of people trying to explain why Mad Gear Solid 2 is a masterpiece. And stuff. I didn't say it was great. I just said yeah. that's what it's trying to be. Yes. Uh, anyway. It's definitely trying to be meta. But I think 3 actually kind of tries to respond to that in an interesting way where 2 gets overwhelmed at the end with the, con- with the conspiracies. And then 3 ends where you learn there was a conspiracy here too. But it actually has a lot of emotional weight because it's yeah. Snake realizing how shitty this world he thought he was protecting was and they just end it silently. Like, the actual final cutscenes of 3 aren't that long, and it's just, you get there at the end, and it's him standing over the grave of the boss, and you kind of see, you don't even need the sequels, because you can yeah. see how he became the villain he became. Yeah, like, yeah, you're, and yes, the, the very, very end of Metal Gear Solid 3 is fucking incredible. Like, I would never try to take that away from that game. Yeah, and I think, it actually makes me really excited for 5, because I think it looks like, by every indication I've seen, the Phantom Pain is going to be filling in that gap between how he became the guy yeah. who Solid Snake would kill. And I think that's a potentially great story. Yeah. But anyway, I'm loving these games so far. I don't know if I'm going to love 4, but I'm, I'm interested, you know? And, and there are a lot of characters I like. Like, I like Otacon. I want to see where his story goes. I know we're bringing back and for Meryl yeah. and some of those people. Although, here's the weird thing where... Playing 1, 2, and 3, ultimately they didn't... I got into them in such a way that I didn't really feel the datedness of them all that much. Sure. Whereas 4, I really feel it. And it's That's not that old a game, but it does... Yeah, it came out in 2008. So it's the beginning of the Maybe previous nine. console generation. Yeah. It is 2008. Yeah. And I just... I can feel some of the datedness of that. Of that immediate, okay, we can't do 60 frames per second anymore, and we can sure. barely maintain 30. And we're going to use desert settings. And the way we're going to handle shooter mechanics that... It gives you more freedom, but it's not necessarily better. And just some of that stuff. It's well, I think I want to say Metal Gear Solid Three was originally thirty. Like I know two was definitely sixty frames. You're right. Originally. Three was originally thirty because yeah. that game. That's a beautiful game. It's it's was yeah. pushing the PS2 pretty hard. Yeah, it's nice that they for the remaster had it in yeah. sixty. But anyway, 
So I really enjoy these games. I'm very, very excited for 5, in part because I've played Ground Zeroes, and I know the gameplay is fantastic, and I'm very excited for, for Phantom Pain. Um, but you yeah. do your piece. Yeah, for me, like, I am fascinated by Metal Gear, the franchise, and, like, I've, I really, I'm, I want to play Metal Gear Solid 4. Like, I don't, I don't love any of the games. I think all the games are, like, incredibly flawed in, like, just more ways than I could possibly count. But, like, like you said, there is a clear voice that comes through. I think there are things about that voice that, like, as a storyteller, just in terms of, like, the tendency to end the games with, like, these very long speeches that are complete gibberish, like, infantile, juvenile nonsense that, like, I feel like is, like... Two completely is, yeah. Two completely. Three has a couple of things... That, like, again, like, I'm talking more about, like, the boss scene, like, where she just talks for, like, 30 minutes, and you're like, none of this stuff is, like, revelatory or interesting in any way. The very, very end of 3 is very, very good. But, like, yeah, there's, it's the, there's this insane conflict of tone constantly throughout the games where it can be, like, incredibly silly, it can be, like, weirdly, like, pervy in certain ways, like, the Eva character, like, that's basically the entire game... Half yeah. nude, yeah, that's a problem. But it's, just, it's incredibly distracting when she's trying to when you're having this real, really melodramatic scene, and you're like, you know, the first time I met you, I could hold down the right trigger and just stare at your boobs for the entire cutscene. It's very hard for me to take this character seriously anymore. It's like there's there's things about the game that like it feels like Kojima wants to do everything, and he has so much that he wants to do, and he can't sit down and just be like focus on one like core theme focus on one core story do like focus on one main thing and fucking do it i think you you maybe could execute really well but i feel like none of the games managed to do that two is the worst by far i'm wondering if you're gonna like four more than me then because so far what part of what i don't like is it's totally very one note it's very dour it's it loses i think a lot of that that makes the other one special to me but I don't know. Oh, I know about some of the shit that happens in 4. Okay. I'm sure that that's going, to have, that's going to change. Good. That's because, going to... But here's my other question. I, I think these games are at least 85 to 90% self-aware. And there's sure, a good... I don't think that necessarily like makes it that much better. I, you know, but I think... I don't think it's self-aware about the speechifying. I think sure, some of that yeah. is, is not. Uh, I, but I do think in terms of how the it grandstanding treats... grandstanding that Metal Gear can do. Yes, and I, but I think a lot of the tonal variations and things like that, and, and even some of the stuff with the way it treats women, which a lot of it is you can't defend, yeah. is, I don't know, there, there is a self-awareness to it that I like. And I think in 1 and 3, it's in very good balance. I think in 2, it's in awful balance for the... For the I think actually the first part on the tanker is really good, but the second yeah. mission is... That's it. It's but, I mean, the vast majority of the game, which the gameplay I actually love in two, but it gets yeah. I mean, story wise, it's a mess. Yeah, I should also say like I'm baffled how you love the gameplay. Of these I games, love the gameplay. I find it just the clumsiest fucking shit. Like the like not being able to crouch walk and like the the shift between prone and standing is awkward. The movement in Metal Gear Solid Two is like offensively bad to me, just in terms of like your character cannot pivot. For some reason, Raiden is just physically incapable of pivoting. They fix it in three, but he has to walk in arcs to turn around. It is the dumb, like, infuriating, most infuriating thing. Especially when they ask him to walk on, like, thin platforms. It's just like, this game controls, like, but... How did you play these, by the way? On the Vita. I know that's not the problem, though. It is the controls in Metal Gear Solid 2. That's fine. No, and I get part of what you're saying about... I, I could not imagine trying to play these on Vita with those control sticks it's yeah. it's totally fine like okay. that's yeah that's definitely not the issue 
Um, with 3, I actually specifically really like the gameplay in 3 because I love the jungle setting. I love... I think 3 puts a much greater emphasis on stealth, actually, than the first 2 did, and That's I actually true, like yeah. the stealth mechanics, and I think... I just also think 3 is varied, where you go through the jungle and you have some base sections. There's that whole phenomenal set... Like, the fight with the end, I think, is one of the best boss fights I've ever seen, where it's this long, yeah. protracted sniper battle. Uh, I like, love that. Maybe it was just the way I played it, but, like... I finished that fight in like seven minutes. Like I got up on him, shot him with a shotgun, chased him down, shot him with a shotgun, chased him down, okay. shot him with a shotgun. I didn't do that that way. Yeah. I just, I particularly with three, I get into it where I get into the stealth stuff and I find myself like slowing my breathing and I'm really just invested in it. And I don't know. I and I know part of that is just a matter of taste, probably, and different preferences for how that stuff yeah. works. But yeah, and so I, yeah, I don't know what to say. It's it's a very specific thing the games are doing. I like how they do it, but I wouldn't. As I as I opened this conversation, I couldn't possibly blame anyone yeah. for thinking differently. They are they're obviously divisive. Yeah, and and the the fucking thing that like the going into first person to aim and shoot in Metal Gear Solid Two that was excusable for me because that game came out in two thousand one. It's like by the time they got to Metal Gear Solid Three, it's like the shooting is so unbelievably clumsy in those games that to me it just makes every single boss fight well a lot of the boss fights are like really creative and interesting in concept found in execution like every single one was just like this is just a fucking pain in the ass to deal with like Some having of, to stop and shoot and aim people is just physically unappealing in these games it's tactilely some of those I definitely felt like that others I thought were better suited for it and here's what I will say if because I really try to play these as like stealthy as I can, and I think sure. I don't even think about it then because I don't want to be moving when I'm shooting. If I'm moving when I'm shooting, I think I'm doing something wrong, and I intentionally kill myself to go back because I want to do it the stealthiest way possible. And so I will use my guns a lot, but I usually use this. I almost always use a silenced pistol yeah. or train gun, and then it's like, well, I want to be able to stop and aim carefully and do it exactly right. But like, I guess like it is something where I've maybe spoiled a bit by having played some of the more modern stealth games, like the modern Splinter Cells and stuff, where it's like. Playing a snake feels like the clumsiest chore. Like, he, it's like you can't, like, I cannot make Snake do anything that I want him to do because everything has, like, five extra frames of animation that it doesn't need that makes you have to, like, you know, like, it's just little things. Like, when you come out of the water, there's, like, a solid second of, like, the camera doesn't want to know what to do. So it's, like, because it's stuck between, like, this first person and third person thing. And it's like it, like, it just has to pause. So it's like you cannot smoothly transition coming out of water. And like doing anything that way, so that made like the first boss fight with a pain, a pain in the butt because it's just like yeah, I didn't like water. that fight at all. Like um, the transition, like the transition between doing everything takes too long and is too awkward to be able to do any like what I think are like these like cool spy shit. So it's like for me that was like the thing that like killed the gameplay. That and also like in Metal Gear Solid Three. There's a, they have a lot of interesting concepts in terms of like the camo and stuff like I that. I love that stuff. I love but that stuff. But in execution, I found like they just had like seven different reasons that I have to keep on hitting the pause button to go into these menus and have to keep on stopping the game. That like I, I thought I just, it like killed the pace of a lot of it to me. I guess I just think of the games as I try to play them like very leisurely, and so I kind of like that stuff. I agree. In boss fights, that stuff could get tedious if I'm in the middle of a you know frantic boss fight I have to stop to eat a snake that was weird but I did like just as I was going through and doing these things I had to you know kind of stop to heal this injury or do that it just it kind of felt immersive to me but I also get what you're saying yeah like I just felt like it had a lot of good ideas but like every single execution of it felt really clumsy have you played any of Ground Zeroes yet no okay I think you're gonna like that more because it's really stripped down from the other ones it's it's and the movement is a lot smoother the shooting is all much smoother um 
it's really the gameplay in that is really well done. I think it, it takes a lot of what you're talking about and fixes that. I yeah, think. I mean, it would have to. Like, it's yeah. not 2001. Like, you cannot have a yeah. gameplay like that. Yeah, Metal, my problem with Metal Gear Solid Four so far, and I shouldn't even talk about because I haven't played finished the whole game or anything. Yeah. But like, I'm in the first act where you're in the Middle East and you're in a war zone trying to do stealth stuff. It's fucking bizarre, and it's not. It doesn't have that same rush as the other ones because it's like. Why am I doing stealth stuff in a wars? I don't know. It's a little weird. Like, you should just fucking say fuck it and just get up. Like, that was literally the most fun I had with Metal Gear Solid 3 were the moments where I was like, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to try to run away from these guys and go back into stealth. Like, I'm, fuck that. I'm just going to pull out the shotgun. I'm just going to kill all these fuckers. Because there's, like, like, there's no reason not to. Like, there's no, like, the game, like, there's maybe one of the problems with the game at some point is that it was, I found it so easy. I played on the normal difficulty, so maybe if I turned it up, it would have been different. But, like, on the normal difficulty, like, the game is so simple to most of the time, like, just, like, killing enemies and stuff. Because if you, like, the shooting's never good, but if you're just using the shotgun or, like, a machine gun, you don't need to aim. Like, you just run and, like, hammer yeah. on the shoot button and kill everybody. Like, and I guess you just my clear through areas that way, and it was that was a lot of fun. I, I totally get that. I guess the difference for me is I didn't find doing that fun, so I would just, even though I could have done it whenever that happened, I would intentionally go back to the checkpoint. God, dude, like fucking the shotgun is vicious in that game. It like, is good. I will like. There's a lot of things I don't like about Metal Gear Solid Three, but that shotgun is a really good video game shotgun. Yes. Well, anyway. I think maybe we'll talk more about this yeah. next week or something. Yeah, There's, we'll have to dig deep into the story stuff. At I, I have to tell you, and maybe I'll do this off the air, and then we'll talk about it next week's how I beat the boss at the end of Metal Gear Solid 3. It's a great story. Anyway, but we'll save that for another episode. All right. So let's talk. I've been playing Metal Gear. Love that. You've been playing. You've been finishing up your Metal Gear run. Yeah. Um, but you had some other games you want to talk about. You finished yes. The Witcher 3, finally. Yes. That game took me a long time to play. Like, I did everything in that game. Like, if you go in and look in my quest log, the only things that are left are quests that were bugged for me that I couldn't finish, which are, like, two or three quests in the scope of, like, fucking a million quests. Like, I have no idea how much shit is in that game. There's probably a couple of, like, side quests or something that I could didn't find. But yeah, The Witcher 3, I think the last time I talked about it on the podcast, I said it was, like, it's it's my front runner for Game of the Year. That is still completely true. Like, I will say that, like, what I suspected was going to be the case of the game proved to be true in the sense of the main storyline in terms of like the like the plot of the game in terms of the main storyline is Geralt who's the witcher is trying to is hired by this emperor of Nilfgaard which is one of this like nation is hired to find this character Ciri who is the heiress of that empire but then also is sort of like Geralt's adopted daughter that like he had this whole like relationship with so, like, you're trying to find Ciri, and that's the main quest, and there's all this stuff with, like, the, the subtitle of the game, The Wild Hunt, refers to this band of, like, interdimensional elf dudes who are, like, chasing down Ciri for all this stuff. And so that's the main plot, and the main plot doesn't amount to be something, like, super interesting and super engrossing, which is what I thought was probably going to be the case, but that's not, to me, doesn't affect, like, the quality of The Witcher as a whole, because the game is far more about the stories that you meet along the way, the people that you meet along the way, and, like, the world that you live in. And it's about that, and it's not about, like, interdimensional elves and, like, the big... Because once you get to, like, most of it avoids having, like, the, like, world-ending fantasy trope stuff. Once you get to the very end, it starts dipping into that territory a bit, and that gets a little bit, like, I kind of roll my eyes at it. But again, like, the journey along the way is so engrossing and so involving and so incredible just in terms of, like the millions of small impactful moments that you 
encounter on your journey and all like the random people you meet just like the things of stuff like when you're just like riding on your horse down a road like on your way to like go hunt some werewolf or something and a person on the side of the road stops you and like asks for your help and says that like it's this woman that says oh my husband went to the forest to hunt and get us some food and he hasn't been back in hours could you go find him and you go out into the woods and you find his body and he's being eaten by wild dogs and you kill the dogs like pull something off his body to bring back to the woman and you just ride on your way because that's the only thing you can do and that's the world that you live in is that there are people that live in this world it sucks like they are impoverished they're they're you know hungry they're fighting for their lives because they live in this world that has like monsters and stuff in it and all these ghouls and it's like there's nothing you can do to save everybody there's nothing you can do to save the world there's nothing you can do to make it right you can just kind of do little things along the way help some of the people along the way and just like experience that world and that's the game that the witcher 3 is and it's it's a really incredible game like it's it's to me it's a model for the future of how western rpgs should like look to be made just in terms of like avoiding filling your game full of junk repeatable content in terms of like collectibles and that kind of stuff like avoiding making your game too much about the really big moments and finding what's really important in the smaller moments with the characters like that's what the witcher 3 executes on that a lot of games recently stuff like dragon age inquisition maybe we're hinting at trying to do but never were, were, couldn't find the way like the witcher 3 did it so yeah nice i still haven't played it i it's never been on sale so far, so well, yeah, I mean, it's only been out for like right. a couple of months, yeah. So, and then I also say like they've they've been done a really good job of supporting the game with like little packets of free DLC and stuff that have come out. And just last night, I think they came out with a new game plus mode, little like thing of DLC that I nice. I might dip into. Nice. I definitely want to play it, and it's just everything you said about it sounds like you know what I said like the kind of sameness of games these days. Yeah. It sounds like it breaks out of that while in a familiar yes. format. Yeah, definitely. And it's also just, like, visually speaking, like, it's technically really, really well done, but then also just, like, the aesthetic design of it. Like, this one area that you come to called the Skellig Isles that's sort of, like, a mishmash of sort of, like, Gaelic and Norse cultures and stuff. Like, that area is by far the most beautiful place I've ever been in a video game. Like, it is, like, every single vista, every single, like, mountaintop you climb is jaw-droppingly gorgeous. Like, it's one of the few games that I play that, like, I am constantly just stopping and looking at the environment and sort of just appreciating, like, the beauty that they put into it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really remarkable game. Were there any other games you want to talk about before we get to Batman? Uh, I want to talk about Galaxy a little bit, because that game's also really good. It's a, uh, it's part of Sony's, I wanted to, like, play Summer 2015 promotion or whatever. That's a couple of indie games. It was something that originally got showed off I want to, it was either the first PS4 E3 or it might have just been the unveiling of the console when they did that whole like we have like 12 indie dudes on stage and like all the spotlights come up and that, like that really cool moment where like you, it was like okay the consoles are finally embracing indie development that was one of the games on there it's finally out years later and basically the game is it's it's a roguelite sort of game where you play as this sort of like heavily inspired by Gundam and Macross like sort of like 80s mech space fighter anime stuff this this character who you're ATAC and you're the pilot of the ship and you're out in space and you're trying to like get back to earth basically and the structure is that you have there are five different seasons that you unlock along the way because it's sort of modeled after an episodic TV show and each season is composed of five episodes 
So you basically start at the beginning. Each episode is like a mission. And each of the missions is something like go, like, retrieve these food crates and bring them back to the ship or something like that. And you just spawn into the world as this one little fighter ship. You eventually gain the ability to also turn into a mech. And it's sort of, you're spawned into this, like, open space map. It's all 2D. And you kind of are just sort of explore the map, try to get to your objective. And the game is really about the combat, which is sort of, like... If you think of kind of like like a lot of the tenets of like Halo and Far Cry in some ways, in terms of the openness of the combat, and even just stuff of like the balance of like shields and health, like a lot of those concepts are brought into the combat in this game, but it's all like translated into this 2D like space fighter where like it's all about like maintaining your momentum because your momentum carries in space like it should, like sort of like figuring out the movement and figuring out ways to sort of like maneuver around enemy ships, dodging their attacks and like trying to get hits in. And so the combat is really, really intricate, incredibly deep, and incredibly involving. And so as you complete those five episodes, you eventually like get to the end of the, the fifth episode, and the missions are randomly generated, except for the last episode, which is like always has like a sort of like boss objective for that season. And as you're playing the game, you're picking up these like blueprints and upgrades for your ship that like the blueprints carry over into the shop that you get to carry across runs. This is like the roguelike element of it. That if you die in the middle of a season, you can either spend five of these this piece of currency called Crash Coins to sort of try to retry that mission, or you just restart the, the season over from the beginning and give it another run. And so it has light elements of persistence with, like, those Crash Coins are special pieces of currency that are used to sort of, like, carry money across uh, different runs. So that way, like, if you die, your Crash Coins can be cashed in so you can start the next run with a little bit extra salvage so you can buy some extra weapons and sort of have a leg up the next time you're playing through the season. Or, like, the other thing you do is you unlock those blueprints to get into the items in the shop. So, like, the progression elements are light. Like, your ship has three shield bars and two health bars. And, like, at the beginning of every single season, that is true. Like, you do not upgrade your ship permanently. Like, every single season, unless you are using your crash coins to buy some upgrades at the beginning, you're starting out with nothing and have to work your way up across the season to eventually, like, be powerful enough at the end to be able to face the boss. And so it's a game that, like, it's really harsh. It's really brutal. It is so easy to, like, if you take an enemy lightly, if you think, like, I will be able to breeze through this encounter you will get fucked. Like, like every single fight is a fight. You have to take it seriously. There are stealth elements in the game as well in terms of, like, you have to be, like, you can see enemy vision clones and you're, you're sort of, like, boosters when you move through space, like, create this, like, circle around you that sort of, like, tells you that if an enemy is within the circle, they can kind of hear your ship. So, there's, so you can get through encounters by sneaking. You can get through encounters by fighting. There's environmental elements to it that, like, you can knock enemies into lava and stuff like that. It's an incredibly well-realized game that just, like, the combat and the encounter design is so incredibly just invigorating. Like, it's so much fun to play, and it is so infuriating when you fuck up and you die and you lose that run. You think, like, ah, fuck. Because it's like, if you want to try to retry the mission, you have to spend a lot of money. Like, you have to five crash coins is a lot. So you're basically handicapping your next run because you're spinning these coins now. And you have to find your, like, do a corpse run where you have to find your upgrades in the level before you can get all the shit back that you had when you died. And which is it's so fucking hard, because if you get into those later episodes, like, the you need an upgraded gun. And then also, like, the mech, because, like, you know, the, for most of the game I was playing with just the ship, 
But in season two, you get this mech transformation with like a sword, a deployable like front facing shield, and a like grappling arm. And I've been playing as the mech a lot recently when I'm playing the game, and that like playing as the mech is totally different because you're like in, in uh, emphasizing melee attacks. You can transform between the mech and the ship at will. Like it costs nothing, so it's like you can have fights where you're just like. Like, one encounter of the game can be, like, you see a bunch of, like, Imperial spaceships flying around on a patrol and decide you need to take them out. And so you transform into your mech and you grab onto a piece of floating space debris and sort of angle it so that they can't see you because you're just drifting through space. And you get to the right spot where they, you kick that space debris at them, you rush in with your sword, charge it up, take one of them out, transform back into a ship, spin around, and you're keeping your forward momentum from before, so you're moving backwards, but shooting at them at the same time, and taking them out that way, then someone comes at you, you activate your side thrusters and boost them, so that like you sort of like swivel around them in space and shoot them from behind and blow them up, because that ship has a front-facing shield. Like Those are the kind of encounters that you get, where you, like, you look at it, you stop, you plan, you take stock of what you have, like what your powers are, what you can execute on, and you try to deploy that plan and that encounter and see how well you do. And you just do that, like, rinse and repeat throughout the game. And the combat is so intricate that, like, you could play this game forever. And I feel like you could keep on discovering new tactics and new strategies. Like, it is a really good game that really took me by surprise when I sort of saw videos of it. Because it wasn't really on my radar. But when I saw it, I was like, this looks like a game that is right up my fucking alley. And nice. it is really fucking good. Nice. So it's just on PS4, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wasn't sure. I saw you had your Vita out, and I was like, "Is it also on Vita?" No. no. Okay. That's what I've been playing Metal Gear on. Okay. I take my Metal Gear with me. Nice. I wear my Metal Gear around my neck. It fucking chains me down. All right. Well, you want to talk about Batman? Let's talk about Batman. Let's talk about Batman. So this is funny. This is literally the first time Sean and I have ever talked about Batman: Arkham Knight. Yes. I have no idea what you thought of this game. I really liked it. I really liked it too. I, I loved it, in fact. And yeah, so I'll just, I, yeah. Here, I'm going to let you go for in a minute here. My basic spiel of just to show you how much I like this game, I, I had it preloaded. So Monday night at 10 p.m. I started playing it, and every waking moment until I 100%ed absolutely everything in the game on Friday, I was playing Batman Arkham Knight. This is basically I what I only took loved. breaks to sleep. And I, I, I'm not saying 100% of the story. I did everything you yep. could do in that game, and just did one go through, and it was so satisfying. I think... There are some flaws to this game, and I think overall, in terms of like raw story, I probably liked Arkham City more. But I just think as a game, this is the pinnacle of what Rocksteady has yeah. accomplished. I think it's the best game I've played of this new console generation so far. One of the most beautiful, certainly. And I just think it's one of the great great Batman experiences I've ever had. Yeah. It certainly furthers what I think that Rocksteady's Batman stuff is the best Batman stuff I've ever seen. I completely agree. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, a great conclusion. Like, in fact... And I'll just say this and let you go, is that I thought this was almost made like a counterpoint to The Dark Knight Rises in the way it takes similar thematic beats and does a actually good trilogy capper out yes. of it. But anyway, what did you think? I mean, yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, the one thing I would say is, like, I thought that the be very, very beginning of the game, like, I would say, like, the first hour or two hours, basically, like, we can talk about Joker stuff, right? Like, let's just, like... Yeah, spoilers! He's, spoilers a hoe. Yeah, like, the Joker's in the game. Like, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, we're not going to go into detail with that. So, like, I think the moment up, like, all the stuff up until the Joker appears, like, felt like it was a little bit flat to me. Like, okay. the very, very beginning. Like, it that definitely is a, stuff. It's a slow burn yeah. to get It's there. just like, I feel like it doesn't have a very strong opening. 
and then also I think like just some of like the missions and the Ace Chemical stuff, like that, the stuff they ask you to do with the Batmobile in that section is just really tedious in a way that like they never do again with a Batmobile. Like they like all the shit with like you have to like move that ramp to like yeah, drive yeah, the Batmobile. Up. It's like it's just like things where it's like it's a really simple thing that I need to do, but you're making like it's just too time consuming for what you're asking me to do. Not that it's like it's not terrible, but it was just like I was like this is weird. Like this just doesn't like this is feeling like a little underwhelming right off the bat. But then once the Joker appears, you realize, oh, this is what the game like. This is what the game is about. This is what the game is doing. Like the like this game for like somehow and it, like in my I don't understand why, but it makes perfect sense to me that the game where the Joker is dead, like the the Batman thing where the Joker is dead, is the thing where the Joker is the most prominent and the most well-developed as a character I think I may have ever seen the Joker be. I agree, and I like, think it's... There's more... more focus put on the Joker in this fucking game than, like, anything ever. And they do, like... It's unbelievable. Like, they do so well by that character. Like, they, they put push that character into realms that he has never been before. It's amazing. It's amazing. I think it's Mark Hamill's best work in the role. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I kudos to them for keeping that under wraps, because I had no idea... Yeah, that was this. a... Yeah, because, yeah, like, I avoided... Like it, I mean, I avoided stuff anyways, but they didn't even let that no. out there. Like, I and didn't see did you, anything about did that. Did you do the same thing where once he started talking, you were trying to figure out, is that Troy Baker or is that Mark Hamill? Yeah. And yeah. I was, I could tell pretty quickly it was Mark Hamill, but it was like, yeah, he because said he was done. So. Yeah, yeah, and like, and Mark Hamill doesn't seem like one of the guys that necessarily would be like the, I, like, I don't know, like, I'm going to like fake this thing. It's right. Just like, if he said it, I kind of believe that he, that would be true because it also seems like he'd be busy with like Star Wars yeah. stuff. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, the, the character died at the end of Arkham City. Like, there's sure, I'm sure there's going to be references to the Joker in Night, but I, there's like, they're not going to make him a character. Well, then and they make him a character and they make him like, and like, they do more with him than ever in a way that like, at first I was like, oh, this is going to be kind of cheap because I really loved how they killed the Joker in Arkham City. But the way they use him here, it's like, it makes perfect sense because you could only use him this way if he was already dead. Yes. So it's like, you know, if you're taking the, this Arkham franchise, which has the benefit of being able to do whatever they want with the characters because they are completely untied from any continuity. It's like, they took the opportunity with Arkham City to do a story about how the Joker dies, which has only, in my knowledge, been done once before, which was the Batman Beyond game, or game, the Batman Beyond movie. Like, you're going to take the opportunity to do the story where the Joker dies. That's great. Because, like, we never get to see, like, a version of that that feels like it's actually that. And then, in Arkham Knight, since you never have the real, like, Joker dying scenario, you also never have, like, this really cool post-Joker scenario of, like, you still get to use the character because he's in Batman now. Like, he is part of Batman. He's in his mind. It's like, you get to do more with the character in that setting than you would ever be able to do. So they actually make... While it may at first seem like it's kind of a cop-out, they actually, like, I feel like, make full use of what they were able to set up by Arkham City, more so than just, like, not having the Joker be there at all. Absolutely. And why don't we just start the discussion here on this stuff, because there's so many ways we could take this. Yeah. Let's talk about the Joker stuff, because I also think just on a, like, technical level, the way they implement him, where you'll just, like, come through a door and he'll be standing there talking, and then you'll swivel around and he'll be there again now, or something. And just the way he's always with you, like, that's something I don't think you could have done on other consoles. Yeah, there are a lot of technical things about this game that, like... Are amazing. Yeah, are amazing, and that also just make you realize that, like, 
Rocksteady really is head and shoulders above like almost any other developer, just in terms of like raw creativity and like, using the tools to tell a creative story. Yeah, and like like just like the number of different insane fucking things they do, and like the yeah. amount of like art and effort and like time they put into like what is like a small set piece, but that they they execute on like grand scales is like. Yes. Something that no other developer does. Like, they, they make use of the video game format in a way that most people don't to try to tell their stories. Like what you're saying with, like, the way the Joker appears and can disappear and stuff like that is something that nothing else can do that way because you're controlling the camera and everything. Yes. So it's way more effective than in a movie, which, like, you know, movies and TV shows pull that sort of trick all the time. But in, like, a video game, you feel like you're existing in that world. So when you look away and then look back and he's gone... It feels more like that, like in real life. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Like, and I think that's what makes these such effective Batman stories is because you are so immersed in the mind of the Batman yeah. because you are playing the Batman, and especially in Arkham Knight, you feel such immersion in there. That's why the Batmobile, I think, is so crucial. Is it's another tool to make you understand that character yeah. on such a base physical level that also, again, informs your understanding of his mental level. Yeah. And then they weave that all in with the Joker just coming in and out. And some of the most important moments there, I think, can just be random little things where you're exploring the city, looking for a Riddler trophy, and the Joker will just pop up. Yeah. And things like that. It doesn't even always have to be triggered by story progress. And it, it just it means something. But, I mean, what do you want to say about, you know, thematically how they use the Joker here? I think it's so complex but so rewarding. Yeah. Because what it's it's much more complex than just the Batman and Joker are similar. Yeah, it's it's so much deeper than that. Because you know his last line in the game when the Joker, quote unquote, dies at the end is "I need you." Yeah, and I think that's Batman's whole journey is kind of thinking he needs this side of himself, yeah. but he can actually live without it, and it's symbolic of his Batman persona too. Yeah, and it's something where it's like, you know, it's the thing that like everyone does with the Joker because it's like what the Joker character kind of represents is like. The exact opposite of Batman, and like, in by being the opposite of him, like they define each other. It's that sort of relationship. But like, by having the Joker be so intimately attached to Batman, like you just never have that scenario. And him having access to Batman's memories and being able to sort of like prey on that and really dig into his psyche in a way that like, like no character is able to do. Like you, this is something where like. You, you always get like these like rehashes like you're talking about like Dark Knight Rises of the breaking the Batman story and this is like the one that I feel like is the most like this is driving him to the edge because it's like it's not like a I need to train and get better and beat Bane it's a like I need to like confront who I am and what I'm, I am doing and like like this push and pull of like the, how I'm employing violence and things like that it's just like the Joker is eroding everything that the Batman is over the course of the game as he's slowly losing his sanity. Absolutely. And it just leads to those just crazy, mind-blowing moments like where you ask Robin to lock you up because yeah. you think you're you're harmful. And you're locked up and you wait for a while and then it turns out that was a fantasy and you lock Robin up and go out and you have that with you for the rest of the game. That yeah. You did that and and it's it's a and it's something that I think Batman is as conscious of as the gamer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there's just so many moments like that where they, you know, they've always been good with like going back to Arkham Asylum with like the Scarecrow missions. There, they've been good with like playing with player expectations and like the way that visual information is presented. But yeah, they're like like you said with like that Robin moment where like you as the player don't know what's going on. Like there are just points where you're like, 
has the game glitched? Am like I fucking something up? Am I like yep. almost at the end of the game? Like, like there's so many moments across the playing that game where it's like I, as the player, don't fully understand like what the reality of the situation is. Like I don't know if this is another hallucination. Like I don't know what like this button prompt is going to make me do. Like I don't I know what this stuff is because, like you said, like it puts you in the shoes of the Batman in such a way that it's like I. Like, I'm trying to comprehend the situation as much as possible, but I have no idea what's going on. And I really do think the Joker himself is indicative of so much of what this game does well. Of As you say, diving into psychology and playing with, you know, player expectation. And I've always loved that streak in Rocksteady where they would just kind of go off the rails every yeah. couple of hours and do something insane. And I feel like Arkham Knight is one long extended version of yeah. that. And I love how they meld the nightmare and the reality so seamlessly in this game, where you're always in the nightmare and you're always in reality, and that makes both sides more scary and intense. Yeah. It really, it's a level of, like, mainstream experimentation that I haven't seen in a video game recently, I feel like. Yeah, like, it's really out there. Like, yes. and, it, and it's not just, like, one or two moments. Like, the, like, the game just does it constantly, yes. you know? Like, like, all the stuff with, like, fucking when they shoot Batgirl, like, early on in the story, and, like... Yeah, and I thought she was dead. Yeah, and... like, like because it's, like, yeah, she could be dead. Like, yeah. the fact that she's like, was alive doesn't make, like, make me mad or anything think that was a cop-out, but it was, like, that, like, they, they sell that so well, you know? They do, and I think, uh, it just, the game is playing for keeps from the very beginning, so even if, you know, Batgirl turns out to be alive, it doesn't reduce the sense of stakes yeah. to this thing. It doesn't reduce, like, what her death did to Batman and Bruce yes. and, like, the decisions he makes. And like, to Gordon. Yeah, and, like, keeping that from Robin and stuff yes. like that. Like, like some of that stuff's pretty fucked up. It's like, it makes you up. it makes you question what Batman is doing. Yes. In a way that, like, stuff usually doesn't. Like, stuff will, like, if you're, like, you know, a, like, hip postmodern reader or something, you'll look at it and be like, well, the Batman's vigilante ways are, like, not actually okay and all that stuff. But, like, this is actually, like... Like, putting that aside and being like, I'm a little kid and, like, Batman is awesome, being in that mode, you're still like, I'm not totally on board with what Batman's doing right now. Like, yes. this is, like, some questionable shit he's doing. Well, absolutely. I mean, it creates a scenario where he is very necessary, but as in the best Batman stories, he's necessary in part because he created the situation for these things to happen. Yeah. And he revels in it. I mean, as much as he tries to pretend he doesn't, locking up Robin and going back out there is pathological. He has yeah. to do this. Mm -hmm. It's it's almost like an addiction for him. And I think that's why there's some very potent symbology, you know, when you get to the end, symbolism, when you get yeah. to the end and it's all about, you know, injections and these kind of things. Yeah. And him almost going through withdrawal at the end of the game yeah. forcefully and breaking out of this because it's he has to do it. Yeah. He has to get through this. He is way too into beating up dudes and, like, breaking yes. their arms and shit. He's having a little bit too much fun with that. Did you ever do the moment where, after you lock Robin up, you can go back there and tell him Barbara's dead? Yeah. 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 That's just a great little thing that is player-prompted. Yeah. But it's well done. Yeah. Um... And I think the choice of Scarecrow as the main villain is the one of the masterstrokes here. Yeah. Because has Scarecrow ever been done this well? Not really, no. Like Just having John Noble voice him and and the way how merciless he is and how you realize early on, like, oh, this guy means fucking business. This yeah. is no empty threat. I think it's an amazing villain. It's yeah, so yeah. well done. And it, and it, like, works in con... Like, the Fear Talks and stuff works in yes. concert really well with the rest of what they're going for with the Joker... But yeah, like it, it, if, it plays off each other. If Chris Nolan's Scarecrow didn't look pathetic before, yeah. good God, does it look like it has no fangs now? I mean, yeah. it's just even like stuff like the animated series version of Scarecrow, which I think is well done. I look at that and I was like, uh, compared to John Noble, man, yeah. that's 
as good as it gets. Yeah, that's for sure. It's. I mean, he's gone from being, I think, one of the lamer Batman villains in my mind to one of the best because he's been used in this great Batman yeah. story that way. And he does have, like, a really fantastic gimmick, like the fear toxin thing. Yes. Can be used so effectively, but he's, yeah, you're right, he's usually not used very well. No, and I just, and just the general visual design where he is a walking nightmare, he's yeah. the boogeyman, he is a monster, and he creates these monstrous images, and just so many, like, holy fuck moments, like... Where you think the game can't possibly go any further, and it always does, like the fear cloud explosion in the, yeah. which is I guess the end of the second act, you yeah. could say, and which ends with Ivy dying. But. Yeah, and like the whole city is yes. like that's one of those things where it's like I just look at it and I think about like the budget of like because it's a, if you're just playing like going through the main story at that point in the game when that happens, like the entire cityscape changes yes. with like all that fear toxin is like that's not a cheap thing to do. Like this is like a big. You have, like, changed your map in a really big way for what is, like, in the scope of, like, the overall playtime of the game, a relatively small section, you know? Yes. Like, an Assassin's Creed game or something like that would never be able to afford to do something like that. Like, it is, like, huge, but, like, it's used in the story where it needs to be used in the story, and they don't, like, make a big deal out of the fact that they have done this to the city. Like, in terms of, like, oh, we're going to spend, like, 20 hours doing this. It's, like, it is there when it needs to be there, and then it moves on. Absolutely. So what did you think of the ending? Because there's so the much you can get into is here. Fucking amazing! It's the just like when you're playing as the Joker, like all that shit. It's like holy fucking like that's what I'm talking about in terms of like experimentation and like using a lot of budget for small things. Because that's also an area where it's like where they completely like destroy like like the, like the Gotham City in Batman's mind that's been like Jokerified. Like it's fucking amazing. Like it's yeah. jaw dropping. Like it's and it's only in that like one scene for a little bit and stuff where it's like where you fucking play it's like a third person shooter and then a first person shooter as a joker yep. and that shit it's like it's, it's just fucking crazy and it, and it starts like like delving into sort of like violence in video games and that kind of idea and I like how the I feel like the game subtly just sort of like addresses the really sort of like I think cheap complaints that people have about the games about like well Batman's obviously really killing people because nobody would be able to survive this and like that shit it's just an incredibly pedantic criticism to have of these games that have been around since Arkham Asylum and then you'll get that one sequence in Batman's mind where he's in Crime Alley and they just like pull off the fucking baby gloves come off you know and it's just like you are like fighting these hallucination jokers but you are fucking killing them yes. and they like redo all the fight animations for that there's a bunch of fight animations and like takedown animations where you are just fucking killing dudes there's no restraint anymore no. in Batman's like fighting and it's like I like how they it feels like a big middle finger to those people because it's like it's a fucking like it's a superhero thing it is like a fantasy setting like, like yes, in a real-life context, this would be killing people, but... In like, a real-life context, a dude wouldn't dress up like a Yeah, plant. like, none of this stuff would be possible in a real-life context. Like, we have a fucking woman who can talk to plants, goddammit. Yeah. Like, this is, like, it's... And it's, that's your complaint. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, so, but, so then they show you, it's like, in this setting, we will show you what it is when the Batman, like, unleashes. Like, we'll show you, like, in the context of this setting, you don't understand, like, this is what it would be like if the Batman was killing people. And it is fucking brutal. But I just think the whole... And I, I define the ending as, like, from when you start that last mission to the very end. Right. You go to, like, meet Gordon, basically. Yeah. And, and to the end. And what I had done is I had set it all up so I finished 100%. I dropped the Riddler off, and then I went to, to finish the game. 
And so it was like, I, I was done. I'd saved Gotham. I'd gotten everything out of the way. And all that was left was this final step, whatever it was. And it added this incredible weight to it where it was this very kind of, as I was subtly kind of role-playing Batman, it yeah. was this nihilism I felt where it's like, I've done what I set out to do and fate will have what it has for me. And so it's and it's very scary when you get to that because you have the sequence with Joker in the alley. And yeah. then you have the stuff where I love that they bring it all back to Arkham Asylum. Yeah. And you have all of that. And I think it's almost like Batman and Bruce kind of choosing to live again through this. Yeah. Which again is the theme of The Dark Knight Rises and I think it means so little in that movie but here it means so much. Yeah. To me at least. Because I think that's part of what that whole Joker sequence is about. It's not... You're not really playing as the Joker, right? You're playing yeah. as a mental projection of yes. Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And it's it's so fascinating because it's him choosing to kind of rid himself of this part of himself and then maybe become something more. Yeah. It's an actual, you know, evolution arising more than I think, again, what we get in the, the Chris Nolan movie. Yeah. Which I don't want to shit on. I'm just saying it made me think of that. And, yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, you're right. Like, the thematic material is very similar, but it's handled much better here. Yeah. Yeah. So you get through that whole sequence with the Joker and the, and he's unmasked and he everyone finds out he's Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And then you get the last couple cutscenes. And yes. then it gets really crazy. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about all that stuff? I mean, I'm like I find it interesting cuz like you when it added it a slightly different way than me where I did most of the side stuff while I was playing the game. I think I maybe had like one thing other than the Riddler not quite done by the time I went in, but I just decided, okay, I'm just going to go in. Because it's like, I want to finish the story, and this Riddler thing is going to take me fucking forever to do. Yeah. So I, like, I just went in and did the story. And I actually, I really love the way they handle it if you do it that way. Where there's a moment where, like, Jim basically tells you, you know, it's like... Or, like, Batman decides, like, you know, this is my last night. I'm going to finish things up. I'm going to take care of business. Like, I have finished the big crisis with the Scarecrow, but being the Batman doesn't just mean I just take care of, like, the big crisis facing the city. Like... There's all these little things that I need to do. Like, I need to sort of, like, you know, pick up all my things off my desk and, and go home. Like, is basically right. where it is. It's like... The re- and there's something very fitting to me about having, like, this big section of Riddler trophies where it's like... It's just you and me now. Yep. Edward Nigma, You motherfucker across all these fucking games. I've been picking up all these fucking trophies... It's at the end. It has to be you and me. Like, and I, there's something meta about my relationship yep. with this franchise. But like at the very end, it has to be bringing in the Riddler. It has to be the last thing I do. And I did it slightly earlier, but I felt the same way. Yeah, because it was also the last thing I did of the side quests. Yeah, and it was like so satisfying to get to finally throw that guy in the Batmobile and see him in prison. Yeah, throw his fucking ass in jail and like see the number tick up on the little thing. It's like, motherfucker, it's done. Yep. No more goddamn Riddler trophies. No more fucking dumbass riddles. You are fucking in there, and you are. It's over. You fucking piece of shit. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then the last. So the house blows up. Yeah. Bruce and, and Alfred, Alfred are in are there. Presumed dead. Are presumed dead. And then you get that kind of wonderfully interpretive final scene. Yeah. And it is kind of whatever you make of it. And I like the kind of Rorschach qualities to it. Yeah. Yeah. Where you have like. Sometime in the future, like the, the the Batman's origin is being replayed, yeah, in front of you, and then like a spectral bat-like figure appears and sort of like pounces, and that's the end of the I game. I mean, do you have any concrete interpretation of all that? I mean, I think like you can either just read it entirely symbolically of like that, like the Batman lives on, yeah. like in spirit as a symbol kind of thing that's been covered before, or like you can also just take it more literally about the fact that like. Bruce's plan all along was to kill the Batman as he existed before and leave that behind and like 
like I don't believe that he would have just blown himself up and killed like especially he wouldn't have blown up Alfred no maybe Bruce would Wayne would have blown himself up but Alfred's definitely that would yeah. that's no go so like the idea of Bruce Wayne sort of like going completely underground and in some like in some ways abandoning like who he was before like abandoning who Bruce Wayne was and abandoning like who that Batman was and becoming like kind of transcending in some ways and becoming something more that like he can like really become what he wanted to be all along and I view it like that too basically and what I like is that I don't think you can go any more concrete than that I don't think you can say he did this he did this and then he got the fear talks and then he did that and he did that yeah and I because I think that would reduce it all I like that it's it's basically just this little epilogue but it's 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 more symbolic than anything else and I think it's just it feels it's almost like the right last note in a piece of music yes you can't say exactly why it works all the time but you just it feels right and yeah. it sends you into the credits and you're like whatever this story was that was the right way to end it yeah and it's something where i do feel like in general when you have these like bigger like long running things that like it's usually it's really fitting to try to end it on like a more poignant more symbolic note it's almost kind of like you know like obviously lord of the rings doesn't have like a like super like crazy hallucinatory kind of thing but like everyone going off to the white havens and stuff at the end of lord of the rings does have that quality of it where it's like you're you're like dealing in some sort of like heavy symbolism here that like there are literal events that are going on that are like kind of straightforward but what is really happening and like the impact of the moment is it's interpretive to you as the, the reader or the player and like yeah when you have this like very long form story like multi-part story thing going on I feel like that's usually the way you want to try to end it. Because if you're going with something that's, like, very flat and straight, it's, like, in something that can only really be read or, like, looked at one way, it's sort of, like, there's no, it doesn't leave you with anything, you know? And that can be fine with something that's smaller, but when, like, you have this big thing and you're putting this cap on it, you need to leave something that, like, lives with the player, you know? Absolutely, and I think, again... I don't want to shit on it because I don't think it's a bad movie but The Dark Knight Rises is a good direct point of comparison Yeah. because I don't it's so rigid in what that ending yeah. is and it's so kind of nonsensical and I think it's so thematically confused I don't think you walk out of the theater feeling much of anything after that it's it's like if Dark Knight Rises ended the way that everybody knew watching the movie knew it should have ended with Alfred looking up and smiling and just stopped there like it wouldn't have made that movie perfect but like Leaving that element of, like, mystery or, like, interpretation as to whether or not Bruce is alive, like, yeah, that yeah. stuff, like, that's a better way to end it than to have, like, oh, he's the, like, you can, obviously, if you want to interpret it as being, like, oh, they're not actually there, or they, like, Bruce didn't actually There's get away. There's absolutely nothing in the cinematic grammar that yeah. supports that. Yeah, like, you so. can choose to interpret it that way, but you can also choose to interpret, like, Final Fantasy VIII as all being a dying hallucination of Squall because you're a fucking maniac on the internet, you know? Like, those people are, like, can never be helped. That want to interpret it that way, but yeah, like you need to leave that for the for the player or the viewer. Like you need I, them to have something that like they can kind of chew on. I agree, and I think overall, as a, just as a story and as a presentation, as an experience, this blows out of the water every superhero trilogy capper. I can't imagine one that even comes close to this because most of them are bad. But if also, only we had gotten Amazing Spider-Man three, it would have made you eat those words, Jonathan. But also, I think it just. Frankly, this puts most superhero movies to shame right now. Yes, as true. much as I like Marvel's movies, as yeah. much as I've liked you know one-off things like even Man of Steel and some of that stuff, I look at those and then I look at this and I'm like, this is so much richer. This is so much more meaningful. This makes so much more out of 
you know, the medium of comic books being adapted into something yeah. else. It makes so much more out of these characters, and it is such a more meaningful experience. It feels so much more adventurous. And I think part... I said I tried to say some of this on Twitter, and I think part of it is that it does adopt a more comic bookish stance yes. where it allows fantasy to exist. But I think it's more complex than that. It's also just allowing... You know, letting the story linger and, and something movies I just don't even think can do because they can't yeah, be long enough yeah, for this. Yeah, based and, on the format. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't think we're going to get to Avengers 3 in a couple of years and have it be anywhere near as impactful as this or yeah. whatever other points of comparison you have. This is just, this is superhero storytelling on a such a different level than anyone is doing it right now. Yeah. And it's definitely, it is something where it feels like like it, it's more specifically for Batman just like because of like the way the movies have been recently where it's like you get the Batman that like it feels like Batman to me like yes. in every step of the way and that's the number one thing you need that's also something that like the Marvel movies in general have been really good about specifically with their casting like it's like you need it's a superhero story and you need the superhero to work like you need that to be like the magnet to the story right and like these fucking games are like every step of the way they've always made the right choice in terms of like you know the voice casting of course like going with like the people who know how to play these characters who've been playing these characters for decades smart fucking choice but then even just like the way that they sort of you know blend different elements of how Batman has been used over the years like some of the more serious stuff with like the Dark Knight and some of the more it's like like comic booky stuff like you know making a world where like a really dark fucked up Joker and Poison Ivy can coexist is not an easy thing to do tonally it's a thing that in live action is probably effectively impossible but like in an animated form or like video games which is effectively an animated form like the like you you have such a more generous suspension of disbelief that like they are able to craft to craft this like wholly honed Batman universe that benefits from everything that has come before it and that's true of all these games and it feels like Arkham City more so than the others Arkham Knight or Arkham Knight yeah yeah no totally and I mean we haven't even talked about the Arkham Knight element of the story yeah. which we both agreed we we did actually talk about this off the air yeah um, Jason Todd. Of course, it was, Jason, it was Todd. Jason Todd. We knew from the from like an hour into the game, maybe. I I, I knew from like the picture I saw of the character when they announced the fucking game, and it's yeah. like that's just going to be Jason Todd, isn't it? But like I, the, the, but there, I was always left questioning for maybe the wrong reason because I was always left questioning because it was like it can't possibly be Jason Todd because he's never fucking come up. Like as far as I can remember, even in like offhand dialogue, I cannot think of a single time that Jason Todd has ever come up. In any of these fucking games, and I've played the shit out of these goddamn games. It's like, surely they wouldn't like like. It just felt like like the Arkham Knight thing would be something where that traditionally, it was just, this is the third part of the story. Like there was part of me that was holding out. It's like it's going to be Talia or Harley Quinn. Like I was like holding that out. It was like because that would be a fucked up crazy ass twist if it was Talia Al Ghul the whole time. Or I, I thought it might be Damien, who's uh, Batman's son from the comics, who's. His son with Talia, which would have also been, I think, a fitting twist. If they I thought it. it. I thought it had to be either Talia or Jason. And as soon as they started talking about Jason in the main story, it's like yes, the second he no comes way. up, yeah. yeah, it's like the only reason they would be bringing this up is to set up for the twist that comes later on. And I, I think a lot of people have been disappointed by it online. I've seen, but my view on it was, I think the marketing mishandled it because yes, the just, marketing was the problem with it. Because I think in the game, this is actually a really good telling of that story, yes. and I think thematically it works so well. And I think just a little symbol of how well that works. Is that the Arkham Knight thing is actually resolved way before the end of the game? Yeah. And then that last cutscene, it's it's the Arkham Knight comes in and does that final shot 
you know, sniper shot. Yeah. And that alone is such a powerful emotional climax to that story. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think it's well done, but if you go in expecting, you know, this has to be someone different, and ultimately it's a story you have seen before. Yes. Or elements of a story you've seen before. Yeah, like uh, multiple times. Like the Jason yeah. Todd thing has come up a lot in yeah. recent Batman years. That, yeah, it, it's something where, yeah, I did. it's a marketing problem because I just remember when the game was first announced. They made a huge fucking deal out of, like, the Arkham Knight is a brand new character, and nobody knows who he is, and all this shit. And it was like, I'm just looking at him, and it's like, it's just Red Hood. Like, he just doesn't have the costume, but it's the whole Red Hood story. Like, it's fucking Jason Todd. It has to be. Like, you're just doing the Jason Todd thing. But they were making such a big deal out of it. It's like, there's no way it could just be, like, they surely they would know. That just by the character design, everyone would immediately be able to tell, well, that's fucking, must be Jason Todd. Like, if it's someone who has this, like, military thing, but, like, there's all this military outfit, and the Arkham Knight helmet looks like a lot like the Red Hood thing, and they turn it into the Red Hood thing in, like, a really clever way later in the game when that all that's revealed. And they know that it's someone who has, like, a direct tie to Batman's past. It's like, that's just Jason Todd. Like, they literally spent, like, ten years in the fucking comic books before Jason Todd came back, like, teasing Jason Todd maybe coming back in, like, all these fucking different stories where it's like, oh, who is this person? It might be fucking Jason Todd. No, it's not. Who is this motherfucker? It might be Jason Todd miraculously come back to life. It wasn't until Superboy Prime punched the wall of reality to allow Jason Todd to come back to life that Jason Todd was able to come back to life. DC Comics hurt my brain. <laughs> yeah, they hurt my brain too. They are the Hideo Kojima of comic books. <laughs> All comic books are the Hideo Kojima of comic books. <laughs> well, yeah. I and I just think it's it's thematically though integrated so well because yes. this is such a story about the Bat family. And actually, that's one of the key things I wanted to mention. Yeah. That more than anything, I think, might be the thing that separates this from other Batman stories is how much it, they commit to the Bat family idea. Yeah, and this game in particular, where you know Robin and Nightwing. And Batgirl, and then ultimately Jason Todd, and Catwoman, also Catwoman, Alfred, all these people yeah. are so key to what this story is. Lucy's Fox, they throw him in there yep. too. And Batman, which is the first time he's been in these, right? Yes, which yeah. is awesome. And just and to Batman's general sense of guilt, which Jason Todd is like the you know rotted, corroded, beating heart of all this. Yeah. And again, as you say, it's it's these games where I think in the first two you're not really meant to question Batman's morality. Yeah. But you get to this one, and by the time you get to that Jason Todd revelation, it's pretty much pure guilt. I mean, yeah. it's. And, like, though they do not fucking pull their punches with, like, those Jason Todd flashbacks. No, God, like, they're those, intense. That's, like, maybe the most brutal version of that I've ever seen. Like, it fucking goes places. I just, I would love to see Mark Hamill in the booth on this stuff, because he, yeah. he went for it, man. Yeah, he, like, that would be something where I have to imagine if you're, like, the voice director and you're, like, sitting there, like, hearing him perform that, like, you have to gotta be getting chills. Like, being right. in a room with a dude who's, like, saying that stuff in that voice, like, it's fucking terrifying. It must be even scarier in person, because Mark Hamill looks like just a normal, happy, nice guy. Yeah. And that would be coming out of someone who is just kind of innately lovable. Yeah. <laughs> Like, dude, like, fucking god Shit, some of the stuff they do Because they also, they tie it in so well With the hallucinations Because there's, like, that one Because they do it all, you know, when you're in, like, that, like, sort of, like, fair place I also love that that's where Batman sets up his hideout Of course It's a nice nod to the Joker taking him over It's great But, like, because they do, like, that whole series of the flashbacks But it's the one where it's, like, he's hanging on a hook under a blanket And you see blood on the floor and you're walking up to it And you know it's, like Fuck it, that's Jason Todd. It's like fuck. I don't want to see this cutscene. Like, I, it's like the Jason Todd. Because the thing that I'm don't 
I don't mind them doing the Jason Todd stuff over and over again is that it's a really fucking good story and when it's pulled off well like that Under the Red Hood the DVD movie they like straight to DVD movie they did is one of the best DC animated movies I've ever seen like if you want to like get more Batman stuff seek out watching that movie it is fucking amazing it's a it's way better than the comic book version of that story because they cut out shit like Superboy Prime punching the wall of reality to freak fucking you don't say that makes it better <laughs> yeah Weirdly enough, there are plenty of different things that exist in the Batman canon that allow people to come back to life. There's maybe one really prominent one that is used multiple times for a character who's very famous for coming back to life that maybe you could use to make your story a little bit more believable. But yeah, like, like so the Red Hood thing and the Jason Todd story is really impactful because it does hit at the, whor- the core of who Batman is. And it hits at that thing of like the bat family really effectively where it makes you really consider like realistically like the the idea of like dude like jason todd was like fucking 14 years old man like he like he was a fucking kid he was only robin for a short time and then he gets fucking brutalized and murdered by the joker and like all the robins they that batman brings in are all troubled in their own ways and like have their own tragic backstories it's like the jason todd it's like he's this kid who's sort of abandoned living on the streets like the how Batman meets Jason Todd and sort of picks him up is because Jason Todd is fucking lifting the tires off the Batmobile to go sell, you know? That's how he meets Jason Todd. And that, like, that story and that character and that relationship is so effective that it's like, when you nail it, like, it really digs at who Batman is. And, like, it just makes you think, like, the the way Jason Todd has, like, hung over like the Batman franchise has given so much more to Batman than like any of the actual Robin stories that Jason Todd was in like the idea of Jason Todd is way better than Jason Todd himself and it's like they they, they nail it in this game absolutely I, it's hard to even know you, you just you have to praise it they just do yeah. it all so well and I also think uh, it's the worst time about Barbara Gordon too because you say the Jason Todd stuff is brutal they do some brutal stuff with Barbara here and particularly their little flashback to the killing joke yeah. that's a great little moment yeah and, and like the one of the first biggest what the fuck moments yes. of like where you're like spinning around the camera and things are changing and stuff like that where it's like the whole environment you're in just like alters all of a sudden like it's such a head trip the whole yeah. game it's really disorienting it's like being on acid without taking acid yeah. at some points. It's like being on acid with Mark Hamill doing the Joker voice with you constantly. It's oh. like, holy fucking shit, man. It's crazy. And, yeah, I mean... And I think they walk a, a, a difficult line here with Barbara Gordon being one of the only significant female characters in the game. True, yeah. And there's some brutal stuff that goes on with her. Yeah. But I think... And I also think that's probably why it's ultimately maybe a good choice to have brought her back to life at the end. Yeah. And they, and they don't bring her back to life. But the way they reveal that and ultimately letting her be very pivotal in yeah. the end game, too. I really like that. I think yeah. she's she's empowered more than she's disempowered by yeah, the end. Yeah, like she is just as helpful and effective as any of the other members of the Bat family. Yeah. And it's just... It is just really nice... Because you've had Oracle, like, as a voice in your ear the entire time, like, in all these fucking games she's been with you. It's, like, it's really nice to get to see her and, like, Mm -hmm. go to her clock tower and stuff. And, like, I think probably the the single greatest, like, Riddler riddle in all of these games is the one where you have to, you uncover her Batgirl costume in her hideout. Like, it's just, like, I don't know, it speaks so much to that character and stuff that, like, that's there and it's sort of, like, hidden away and like that she hasn't like let go of that past of her being Batgirl and stuff like that like there's something it speaks so much in like this small little moment that most people are probably never even going to find 
And just the different ways these people are all damaged and the scars they carry, some very literal and some less so. Yeah. But I also think you get to see... I mean, it's interesting to... You have... So basically four sidekicks where you have, you know, Jason Todd and Barbara who are kind of broken. And you have... Robin and Nightwing who are in their prime and I think that's a really interesting balance there and then you go do those great side missions with Robin and Nightwing Mm -hmm. and they're really fun but I also think there's this kind of melancholy to it where they're adult enough to probably take care of themselves and I don't think any major tragedy will happen to them like that but at the same time you are this paternal figure who you have to always kind of question have I led them on the right path or not there's a lot of there's a lot of layers there yeah it is something where it's like it's the thing about this game that like I'm so happy. Like, I just feel like they nailed everything about this game because it's, you know, Rock City has been saying the whole time, and I, I believe them with this one, that, like, this is going to be their last Batman game. And it's like, there's because there's nowhere to go. Like, they did right. everything. Like, this was, like, I've always said that, like, the, the two things they need to do to, like, before they, they leave this franchise is they need to figure out how to do the Batmobile and they need to figure out how to do the Bat Family stuff because they've never like fully integrated like they've been in the background like Batmobiles in cutscenes like you know Robin and Night Robin's in Arkham City for a little bit and like there's the DLC and stuff but it's like this game fully integrates all those elements into everything that that Rock City had already established and they like make that stuff better along the way as well it's like it's feels like the complete holistic Batman experience and it's something as a big fan of Batman like of that kind of Batman like I I love the Bat family. I love all those characters. Like Nightwing yeah. is one of my favorite comic book characters ever because he has such an interesting evolution as a character and he evolves so much and like his progression from like being Robin and like being under Batman's wing and then sort of like feeling like he can move on to bigger and better things, becoming his own hero. And I feel like all those little stories and like the little like like who Tim Drake is and stuff, they pull those sort of characters from the comics and just like put them in this world and are able to have those characters be there and be those characters and have them say something about Batman yes. in their story, you know? This trilogy is a pretty complete experience. It is yeah. the kind of perfect quintessential Batman thing. Yeah, and it's and like the perfect progression from one game to the next, evolving what they had before, like taking what they had and it's like, okay, we nailed that stuff, we nailed the combat, we nailed the stealth in the first game like now like let's put that into a bigger city let's get more of the, the, the villains and stuff into that let's make it darker and more yeah. fucked up yeah. yeah and then in this one it's like let's do the full thing let's get the Batmobile in there let's get the Bat family in there I think the detective stuff in this game is better than it's ever been in Fantastic. the Rocksteady stuff like yeah like they've pulled everything together to like make the complete Batman game absolutely and you, know, you talk about this being the Batman you like and I agree and that's one of the things I've always loved about these games is I've always and I know literally this isn't true these are their own continuity yeah. but I've always thought of this as like a distant kind of sequel to the animated series where yeah, in some ways yeah. I always like just my memories of the animated series I assume that's the backstory for everyone sure and yeah I, in a lot of ways yeah. yeah and I know it isn't always literally but just because you know that's the animated series is kind of a distant memory for me at this point because I watched it when I was a kid and then a little later when those DVDs came out and yeah. stuff but it's like okay that's kind of the base and then this is kind of the big ultimate version of that yeah and I love and I love how it builds off that builds off this very iconic version of the character and even does it one better ultimately yeah, I think yeah because they can do stuff like having Batman break a thousand Joker necks yeah which they could not do on TV as dark as that show was yeah. Or like, like, yeah, or like when you're like playing the 
Joker first person style and like you're wandering yeah. through those hallways and like Batman statues are popping up. Yeah. That shit's so fucking cool. It's great. Alright, let's talk about the gameplay a little bit. Yeah. Somehow we haven't touched on it. The big controversy with this game is the Batmobile. Some people love it, some people Yeah, it's hate a it. really divisive game mechanic in a way that like does not come along no. too often. Like usually I feel like game mechanics are things that like the vast majority of players are either like, we all like this or we all hate this. But every once in a while you get a little gym where it's like half the audience are like, I think this is pretty fucking awesome. And the other half are like, I hate this shit. And I am 100% pro-Batmobile. Yes! We are officially the Weekly Stuff Podcast. We are pro-Batmobile. I will fucking fight to the ends of the earth. I think the Batmobile is really fucking cool. I think it's amazing. It is one of my favorite video game vehicles ever. I just love the way it handles. I love the way it moves. I love the sense of power you have within it. Honestly, what I can say is it's the exact same feeling I get with Batman on foot, where it's everything you consider to be Batman physically, yeah. you can feel that when you're on foot and fighting. It's everything you consider Batman in the Batmobile to be, and, and his power and his you know tech, technological savvy and yeah. all that put in there. And then I think they just come up with so many creative ways to use it. And I also think it's well integrated. Like it's I don't so fully integrated. Fully like, that's integrated. The thing it's with a, like the Batmobile that like I if the game did not fully integrate the Batmobile into everything else the way that it does, I would understand why people like have some of their complaints well, about it. in fact, I was worried when the game came out. I, was, yeah. I thought it was just going to be maybe five times in the game you would do a mini-game or something in the yeah. Batmobile. And I think that Like, you have, suck. like, just, like, a Batmobile race against the villain, and then right. it's gone. But no, like, you, like, the way that you can call the Batmobile at any time, how smooth it is to go into the Batmobile and out of the Batmobile, and, like, launching from the Batmobile, the way that, like... If you're fighting, like, hand-to-hand combat near the Batmobile, like, you can knock dudes up and they get hit by, like, the rubber bullet cannon and stuff like that. It's, like, every single element of the gameplay marries with the Batmobile. Like, it does not feel like it is sectioned off and separated in the way that a lot of games, you would expect that to be the case. It's, like, but in this game, it's, like, no. It is fully part of the open-world sandbox. It's almost like... I can't even think about the time when, like, the Batmobile was not a part of those games. Yes. It's like, it just slots in so perfectly into the formula they already created. You and I are really in sync on this, because that's yeah. pretty much exactly what I was thinking the whole time, is it just feels like part of your toolkit, like everything else you've been getting in these games. Like, your wings, and your ability yeah. to use the grapnel gun, and, and, you know, go through the AC vents and stuff. Yeah. It's just part of the world, and it's, it, it's like you said, it's like, how did we ever have these games without it? It feels like such a part yeah. of it. And it would almost be, like, tough to go back to those games if I hadn't yeah. already played them. Um, I was telling, like, my brother was, like, he saw me playing this. He thought the game was really cool. He's like, I should play this, shouldn't I? I'm like, you really do need to play the first two first. Yeah. Not necessarily because you need to know the story, although it's good to know. Yeah. But because I think you need to have that experience to build. And also, I think if you started here, it would be tough to go back. Yeah, because the games are so iterative that, like... Yeah. Like, I think going back to, like, Arkham Asylum now would probably be rough. Just in terms of, like, the combat has been so polished to this point... That, like, even though, like, when it came out, Arkham Asylum, the combat was, like, amazing and revolutionary. It's, like, that's, like, a prototypical version almost now of, like, the, the yeah. fully featured combat and how smooth the combat is at this point. Yeah. yeah, like, if you... Yeah, I I bet if you played Arkham Knight without having played the other ones, you'd probably kind of ruin your ability to go back to those Because we could go back to Arkham Asylum. It might be a little janky, but we have our memories of yeah. it. So it would be... It would still be perfectly fun. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... It's kind of like why I decided to play the Metal Gear Solid games now, because I knew if I played the Phantom Pain, I would yeah. never be able to play one through four. Yeah, I agree. It's, yeah. It, seemed like, it seemed like if you either you play these games now, or you're never going to play these games. Right. And now it's like preserved. I can always go play yeah. them. But yeah. And just, yeah. But all the gameplay is great. I mean, the Batmobile is awesome, but as you say, the hand-to-hand combat, it is 
Um, it's just smooth as butter. It is so yeah. great. It's like the thing that you know that that Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor game that came out like a couple of years ago, which just pulled like ripped the combat from those Batman games, but like missed the point. Yeah, like it's, it's like it's fine. Like it's not. It's compared to other games that have tried to do that combat system. Like Middle Earth does it better than those games that like are imitators. Mostly just because it feels like they just literally ripped the combat from the Batman games, like the, the same technology. Yeah. Yes, but like it is used like it's it's the difference between like a good game and a great game when you look at the combat or like a good mechanic and a great mechanic when you look at the combat in these two games where it's like in Miller's Shadow of Mordor it's like it's good but it's not quite there like it's a little bit sloppy it's like not quite as responsive it doesn't hit the enemies quite like at the range you want it to and stuff like that whereas like in Arkham Knight it is fucking perfect it is like buttery smooth just like the ultimate version of this combat that's been in any game so far yeah and it just like the other games but even more than those it really invites you to get good at it yeah and by the end of this one I felt I was better here than I had been in either of the other yeah. two games which speaks you know to the investment the game made me want to put into it yeah because they definitely amp up the difficulty of it with like putting oh, in like brutally hard yeah, parts. Yeah, like because they put in a lot more sort of special enemies and stuff like that in the fights than they used to. So it's like it's harder, but it feels more organically harder than like Arkham Origins, which I liked. But that game, like, it felt like they made the game like the combat harder because it just sped up everything a bit. Yeah. Whereas like this, it feels like they're it's more difficult, but it feels like a more natural progression of the difficulty of the, the melee combat in these games. Yeah, and it's just, it's the thing that I think all the games do, but as it ramps up, it ramps up in, you know, relation to the story. So, if you feel stressed and kind of broken by it, that's because yeah. Batman feels fucking stressed by this situation. Yeah. He's having to fight a lot of dudes in this game. Oh, like, it just occurred to me, can we talk for a second about how fucking awesome the Batsuit is in this game? Like, just so visually? Great. Yeah. It is the single fucking coolest Batman suit I have ever seen in anything. Like, it is so cool like the to the point where like if i go back and i like was looking at some screenshots and stuff of the older games after this came out and i was like oh my god like that suit looked like i remember that suit looking really good from like arkham city it's like look at this like it looks like complete shit like the batman suit in this game is so fucking cool like just like the the mechanical parts to it and stuff it's like Fuck, man, they made a really awesome-looking Batman. It feels like the perfect version of what Chris Nolan tried to do in yeah. Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, where it's it's trying to be more practical, and I liked that in those. Yeah. It looked better than some of the other live-action Batsuits, but this one is just like, yeah, because you can believe it, but it's yeah. also just fucking cool. Yeah, it's just like really sleek and perfect, and just f- fucking visually, this game. Oh, we like, the graphics are unbelievable. Like the, like the just the rain alone is yes. like the most like incredible graphical effect I think I've ever seen. Like that, like the way that marries with like the design of the city and the design of the bat suit and how it makes like everything wet and slick. It's like, this like What's it's some really good fucking rain in a video game. Well, it's interesting because I think oftentimes in games and movies when you set something in the dark. Or at night, you do that often to obfuscate things or yeah. make things like easier graphically or whatever to hide things. And that's not what this game is doing at all. It's it's got lots of lighting effects. Yes. That yeah. city is full of light. It's taking place at night, but it's not dark, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. And the, that rain effect and everything, it's there's nothing being hidden. They are showing it off fully. And good God, does it look gorgeous? Yeah, it's one of like the most significant sort of like feelings of this is like a next gen yes. game visually like, it's this the is... high, hardest I've ever felt that yeah. I kind of felt it with Infamous Second Son but this yeah. is something else yeah they, it's just like they 
what they managed to pull off visually in this game is like really jaw dropping. Yeah, and it I has just, the same thing that like what I when I was talking about The Witcher Three, where it's like there are just moments in the game, like combined with the fact that it's like Batman, so Batman's like inherently really cool. But there's like just moments where it's like I just want to fucking stand on this gargoyle and stare out at yes. Gotham City for like a minute. Like I just want to stand here and bask in this game because it is so visually rich. And the, the draw distances are practically yeah. infinite. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, like the draw distance is insane. It makes again, like it was one of the things when like I looked back and saw some video and stuff of like Arkham City when I was like watching video reviews. It was like I just look at it as like this fucking looks like an N sixty four game to me now. Yeah. It's like I've been waiting for that moment where like I look back at the games we used to play and I was like, you can like like why is everything just covered in like this thick fog? Because it's like that's just where the view distance, how view distance evolves. Where it's like yep. if you go back and see like like Mario Kart sixty four and you can see like two feet in front of your character. And it's like slowly it's been expanding out to now it's like you're like an Arkham City it's like you're a god yeah like I, there's no limits to my vision like I am standing at the top of the skyscraper and I'm looking out and it's like the the buildings in the distance don't look like they're just like weird low texture squares the way that they used to you know right. like like it's like the visual fidelity is strong enough from like a great enough distance with the view distance that it's like it just all looks perfect to me, you know? And the city is just so beautifully designed. Like, you want to explore it because it's such an interesting city they've created. It's such an interesting open world. Yeah. Every nook and cranny you go to feels unique and of part of the character of what Gotham is. Yeah. And, like, I love all the powers they give you to get around. The Batmobile is one, but I love in the new suit you have that new power to God. grapple. That is God. so cool. It is, like, the single greatest, like, thing in video games. When it's like It's like the triple jump of Batman or yes. something where it's like... Because you used to have in Arkham City, you had that grapple boost where it's like you double press X and then like yeah. you do the super glide, and now it's like you upgrade it where you press X like six fucking times and you just like and fucking go flying. It is like the way that just ramps up. It is so tactilely yes. satisfying, of like a video game thing. It's like fucking yes, like just like hammer on this X button and go flying. And then you can basically fly from one end of the city to the other. Yeah, it's when so you're fully upgraded. Yeah, and sometimes you would just fly over it just to look. Yeah, the other thing and just to strike fear into the yep. hearts of the criminals. Absolutely, and the other thing I want to say about the graphics is also got this quality that it reminds me of what the original Mass Effect was going for, where it's trying to look filmic, like it yeah. has some grain to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I think Mass Effect One was probably just a little too ahead of its time, and it yeah, didn't work. Yeah, it's a slightly inelegant solution for what yeah. Um, and but this one, like, it very much clearly has something like that going on. Yeah. And it feels so, as you say, tactile, textured, filmic. It's it's, like like physical like yeah. it's, like the image has a physical presence yeah it's it's really gorgeous and if this is what we're in for this coming generation it took a long time to get here but good yeah, god yeah. I'm excited like I am so excited for what Rocksteady's going to do next like Superman <laughs> yeah what what like whatever they happen like whatever project yeah. they get in their laps like They're like this miss. game proves that Rocksteady is a studio that's like at the top of our of this medium right now. Mm-hmm. It was just crazy because they basically came out of nowhere when they made Arkham Asylum. Like Arkham yeah. Asylum was their first significant video game that came out. It's like like one of like the games that completely defined that generation, you know, that like like revolutionized the way that we you do like multiple character melee combat in a game like this and stuff. And like we've come to this point with Arkham Knight and it's just like playing the game because it's been so long since Arkham City came out that it's like I had forgotten just how innovative and creative those people working on these games really are. Absolutely. And, you know, Arkham Origins, we both enjoyed. It was a really nice, you know, just to have that in the long wait, the long dry spell. But it kind of puts it to shame. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Something where it's like, you know, yeah, Arkham Origins is like that sort of like B-sequel kind of thing. I think it's technically a prequel. But like, where it's like, Yeah. yeah, it's nice to have if you're a fan of the thing, but... 
Yeah, like what you're really waiting this for is the is real like, deal. Yeah, the, is the real sequel. You know, this is every bit as big of a jump as Arkham City was from Asylum, and yeah. probably much bigger actually. Although I do pr- appreciate in this game, like the, like the sort of small story hooks they put that like like connect back to some of the stuff from Origins, yes. like like when like yeah like Deathshot and Firefly, like that, yeah Firefly, those are fun. Deathstroke. I, and I love all the side quests and stuff. Like, yes, and the I side quests are really well integrated. Because there's so many of them and there's a lot of stuff, but it never feels like fetch questing. It never feels like busy work. It's yeah. because part of just your role as Batman, but also just, I think narratively, there are all these, like, they build in all these nice little moments in the story where things pause. And yeah. it makes total sense for Batman to go do what he needs to do. Yeah, think. exactly. Like, it was something where it's like I felt really comfortable playing the game at my own pace because yes. it just felt like... It felt like I was on the same page as the develop- developers in terms of like, okay, this is where I can do some side missions and stuff. And just like, there's a nice wide variety of side missions. Like, new side missions open up at a decent pace. And I like that they block off some of the progress for the side missions at certain story moments. To where it's like, okay, like I can't do the next Man Bat mission. It's like, there's something like, as a player, I find that really like relieving because I have like this sort of like completionist trend with games that I really like like with The Witcher 3 or like all these Arkham games I've like 100% in all of them that's like there's something almost stressful about like when you're playing these games and like in the back of my mind I'm like if like one of these Riddler trophies is going to be fucking like locked off in an area that I can't get back to because of story progress or something where it's like like something's going to happen that like I feel like compelled to do everything I can immediately because I don't want a weird situation where it's like now I can't go back and do something it's like it feels like they totally understand how people want to play these games and have paced it accordingly where it just felt natural it's like okay I'm gonna go meet up with Nightwing and do like one of these penguin missions now because it just feels like it's the right time to do the side mission and there's such a huge amount of gameplay variety I think it is virtually impossible to get tired of the game yeah at least in your first playthrough like that because if you ever like if you do two penguin missions in a row and you're like well you know what I'm done I'm kind of bored with that now there's 20 other things for you to do that are all so different and if you're tired of flying, you can get in the Batmobile. And if you're tired of the Batmobile, there are so many other ways to get around. Yeah. It's one of the really great things that the Batmobile lends to the game. That, like, the game, I think, would not work that well without it. Just in terms of, like, it adds this whole other, like, dimension of, like, things you can do and ways you can interact with the world. That it's, like, if it was just, like, Arkham City in terms of, like, okay, you do detective stuff a little bit. And then you have melee combat and you have stealth sections and that's the game. Like... I thought it would be pretty underwhelming and would probably get kind of old, especially after, like, having Arkham Origins. But having the Batmobile there, you're exactly right. That's, like, there's a number of different Batmobile-oriented missions you can do. And then, like, you have stealth-oriented, melee, like, like Batman missions, melee-oriented Batman missions, investigation-oriented Batman missions. It's, like, the side missions sort of, like, fully exploit the different kinds of things you can do in the world. And the Batmobile, like, sort of just opens that up even more. Absolutely. And... It's just, I love it. And and it allows you to have these, you know, huge boss battles with the Batmobile yeah. that are honestly worthy of something like Metal Gear, just to go back to that, yeah. of, of games that have this tradition of giant boss fights. And finally, Batman kind of gets to be one of those. Because I know there have been boss fights in the other ones, yeah. but they're not always my favorite parts. Yeah, but usually, it, like, other than the Mr. Freeze boss fight in Arkham City, I don't think any of the boss fights in these games have been spectacular. Origins had a couple of really good ones. Yeah, oh, yeah, because Origins is built around the boss yeah. fights, that's right. But anyway, this one, yeah, I... 
the but the Batmobile boss fights, particularly some of the stuff with the Arkham Knight, like when you're underground yeah. and having to escape him, I think that's so yeah, creative. Yeah, that fucking mission's really cool. Yeah, and no two boss fights are really the same. Yeah, but you can go from something so those huge set pieces to a really fiendishly difficult Predator map. Yeah, and then something where it's just sheer combat, and you've got to get through this, and it's all got a very, I think, cerebral streak to it, but it's also just viscerally and experientially satisfying. Yeah. So it's just it is, it's like this giant all-you-can-eat buffet where everything is equally delicious and good yeah. for you, and everything is just fucking Batman. Yeah. And then also, like we haven't really touched on this, like one of the other main sort of additions they they add to the combat suite is those. Bat family sort of activities where you're like you're with Nightwing or you're with Robin or you're with Catwoman and you can switch around yeah, yeah. you can switch between them in the middle of a fight those fights are fucking amazing like yes. like just like visually because you're just like you because you power up this sort of meter that allows you to do this like dual team takedown thing where you're like basically like you're with Nightwing and you're fighting all these dudes and Batman just like kicks a motherfucker up in the air like Nightwing does a backflip knocks him back to the ground and knocks him out and then now you're playing as Nightwing in the middle of the same fight like in the middle of the same combo moving to different dudes like the way that like with the Batmobile the way that that stuff is just fully integrated and does not feel sectioned off in weird ways like is amazing and just that Robin, Nightwing and Catwoman all feel so distinct and like I want a full Catwoman game with Catwoman because I love playing as her so much and it feels so distinct to who she is as a character just as with Nightwing the way those you know electro sticks are are forced in scream of sticks yep and I and you know we've played as those characters before, so yeah, it's and not the DLC like for City, yeah, yeah. That's not a huge revelation necessarily, but just the way it's integrated, as you say, with those back and forth systems, is so fun. Yeah, it's just fun, and it's it's yeah, it's crazy. Just, this game's so fucking good. It's so good. I don't. It's it's kind of funny because I hadn't even really thought about this in like two months, and now we're talking about it, and I kind of just want to go play it again. Yeah, it's so yeah. good. I mean, uh, here I will like. Because I feel like we need to say one piece of criticism at the very least. I don't like the way they did the challenge rooms this time around, which is like the smallest criticism. Yeah. It's like, and it's not a, it's not a big deal. But like the the AR missions are, they feel like a lot smaller than like the, the challenge map section was like in Arkham City, especially. Just like it felt like there were so many, and they really put your skills to the test and let you really hone like the the stealth and the combat sections of the game. But I found like this was like, you know, there I did them and they're fine and they're fun, yeah. but it is like. You know, there's like five of each type, and that's like, they're, they're, they don't have multiple difficulties and stuff, and they don't have, I don't like that they're just like score runs that like go until they basically you get hit or something for the combat ones. Yeah, and really the only ones I thought felt particularly inspired were the Batmobile ones. Yeah, the Batmobile ones are pretty fun. The Batmobile races are fucking crazy. Yeah. But the other stuff, yeah, and it almost feels like they ran out of time. And yeah, but that's kind of what it feels like to me as well. Which is like again, to it's, be a, fair, it's a totally extraneous mode. And, and to be fair, I think they put their time where it was necessary. Yeah. This is an incredibly polished game. Yeah, it crashed on me a couple times randomly. I think it crashed on me once. Yeah, it crashed on me three or four times. But it was, I mean, the game saves so judiciously; it never mattered. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, there was no no glitches. There was no jankiness. It was yeah, all the frame rate's pretty solid. Yep. Yeah. So, and I'm play. I played on the Xbox One. You played on the PS4. Yeah. I know the PS4 version was supposed to look a little better, but the Xbox One version, it's definitely the best looking game I've played on that platform. Yeah, and it, it's it's nice to know the Xbox One can handle this stuff. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I think it's just like a small resolution difference, like I don't which you don't even notice. So yeah. it's yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, and uh, another thing that I'm sort of disappointed with the challenge rooms about is that like the thing that was really cool about the challenge rooms in Arkham City was with the DLC. 
you got to play through them as Catwoman, Robin, and Nightwing, which was the, the dis- disappointing thing about the game was that those characters were, with the exception of Catwoman, not in the story mode really at all. And so it's like, I want those guy- characters in the story mode, but it's really fun to be able to sort of like play them at my own pace in the challenge rooms. It's like, it's kind of a bummer that like they have all those characters like fully featured and in the story mode, but like they're, you don't just get to like play all the stealth missions as like Robin or something if you want to with different challenges for them. Yeah. And it, but here's my biggest complaint. Now reminding me of things that were in City that aren't in this. Yeah, you don't get to play a '70s Batman with the blue cape. Damn it! But I don't know if I'm you have kidding. the skin. But you can. You I have the Adam West skin. Like I don't know how I got it. I don't oh. know if that was a pre-order thing. I think that's a PS4 thing. That might be a PS4 I don't, thing. I don't have that, that skin. Is pretty fucking amazing. Okay, like it is so goofy to have Kevin Conroy Batman's voice coming out of. Like, a really lovingly modeled recreation of the Adam West Batman from the That's TV awesome. show. Like, it is... And the, the best part is that, because you know, like, the Batman suit has, like, the gauntlet thing that, like, projects this, like, digital screen. Like, there's nothing there on the Adam West one, so he just, like, looks at his fucking glove, and just a screen pops out of it. And it's, like, it's just a cloth glove on his hand. That's great. It's really good. That's good. I uh, But, yeah, I miss 70s Batman, because you talked about how the suit looked good in Arkham City. Back in the day, yeah. I don't even remember because I mostly played as a seventies Batman because that was the Batman toy I had as a kid was seventies right, yeah. Batman. So I love seventies Batman. Yeah. Anyway, not a real complaint, but yeah. it's good. Um, the console versions were really polished. We should probably joke for a minute about that. Yeah, I have completely forgotten about that. Yeah, the well, everyone has because it's still not out. Yeah. The, don't worry, Jonathan. They're doing a preliminary patch. They're doing a pre-patch patch. Okay. <laughs> that will get things in line for when the patch patch comes out that will then allow them to actually put the game back out on to Steam. If you're unfamiliar with it, uh, this game released day and date on Xbox One, PS4, and PC, as a lot of games are now. Yeah. And as a lot of games are now, the PC version was shit. But this wasn't just shit. It was pretty much utterly broken. Yeah, like, depending on what kind of PC rig you had, it would be literally unplayable just in terms of the frame rate would be literally, like, four frames per second. Yeah. On machines that should be able to run a game like that at, like, 60 solid with no right. problem. So, it's this is, like, you know, the latest in a long line of broken PC ports, but this was a particularly extreme example. So extreme that Warner Brothers did kind of an unprecedented move and just pulled it for sale from Steam. Yeah. And, and told people to get refunds. Yeah. It's like it almost feels like it's some like master plan that Valve enacted to sort of like promote their Steam refund program, which went into effect around the same time. Yeah. It was well, like I, this I, is maybe a little bit too convenient. Well, I do think I don't think they would have pulled it from sale if there hadn't been the refund program. That's probably true. Yeah, they would have just let people be fucked and yeah. whatever. But yeah, like that's really unfortunate and crazy that that yeah. happened. Like, and it's still not fixed. So yeah. it's something where. It's like really clear that the situation was that Rocksteady was working on the console versions of the game and they like used a poorhouse for the PC version that probably was like way overworked and didn't have nearly enough budget to sort of like in time to port the game to PC the way they needed to. I mean, do we just need to accept as an industry that the PC version is going to come it's, it can't be the priority? It it depends. It depends on the game. Like like sometimes they will come out and they'll be great. Sometimes it'll be complete shit. You know, like yeah. MGS5 is coming out day and day on PC as well. I'm really curious about how that's yeah, going to be. I can't imagine Kojima Studios did that in house. Probably not. No, yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that Konami. I don't even know who works at Konami anymore. With like yeah. the way that's like fucking company is like going insane. Right. Well, that'll be a topic for the Metal Gear podcast. Yeah. What the hell did Hideo Kojima do? Has but, somehow Hideo Kojima single handedly destroyed all of Konami? We'll find out. Anyway, but I mean, it's 
it is weird. I it's but because when you do wait for a PC port, sometimes you get something really special, like Grand Theft Auto Five on PC. Yeah. It sounds like it is a very special port and a, yeah. and a really cool version of that game. Um, that definitely is the definitive version. Yeah. Um, yeah, but there's just I feel like there's so many stories like this. This feels like like, the, like from Warner Brothers. Also, the Mortal Kombat X also had right. like a really bunk ass PC release, from what yeah. I understand. Just like I, if I were a PC gamer, one I would stop being a PC gamer because this is all bullshit. Yeah. But two, I'd be like, I would never buy anything. I'd be like waiting and waiting. Yeah, like you would just nervous. it would be a situation where you would never buy anything on release day. Yeah. Which like in the, in the digital age is not that big a deal, but like it, it would still be like vexing. Yeah. I just because with consoles you can at least there's going to be a baseline proficiency. Yeah, you don't. It's, it's always a thing about consoles that like it has no matter what is there's a certain level of convenience and reliability to it. Yeah, that like PC for all its advantages in terms of being able to have as much power as you want, like it's always just going to be more of a pain in the ass. Yeah, and some people want to deal with that and some people don't. Yeah, I some masochists want to deal with that yeah. and some sane people don't. Yeah. It's weird because it seems like the industry is trying to head in a direction where the PC is like the third console. Yeah. But it's not working yet. Yeah, like it's just like it's a difference in like yeah. scale and stuff. And then also like there's like Microsoft seems like maybe it's being somewhat motivated to get like involved in the PC market for like the fifth time that they've tried to do this. And like I think one of the problems with PC gaming is sort of like one of the problems it has is that it doesn't have sort of like a spokes company behind it that's sort of like driving that shit now like Valve kind of does a little bit of it Microsoft kind of does a little bit of it but it's not like how Microsoft and Sony are like 100% behind their consoles and like pushing their consoles and like the developers for their consoles and stuff like that PC just doesn't have something like that to sort of like a driving force behind it yeah speaking of PCs did you get Windows 10? no my, okay. my, my PC has been bugging me about it a little bit of just yeah, like a weird too. pop up that's like, hey, you can upgrade to it for free. I'm like, I'll probably do that eventually. I, th- there doesn't seem to be any reason to do it now. No, I did upgrade out of curiosity a couple days after it launched, and it pretty much broke my computer. Yeah. And luckily, it has a really nice option where it's just revert to Windows 8, and it saves like an image of your computer at Windows right. 8, so nothing is lost, and I was able to get back to it. But that seems, yeah. that's, that's the right way to do it, because OS upgrades are always like a... A terrifying thing to me. Yes. Like, even, like, if my phone is just going to have, like, a, like, point zero point one point four kind yeah. of update, I'm still like, this is just going to, my phone's just going to explode. Yeah. Like, I don't fucking trust any of this shit. I also didn't think it added much that was all that important, but it was like, it's just, it's got this thing that's always bugging me about it, so I was finally, just a couple days, I was like, fuck it, I'll upgrade my computer, yeah. it's, my computer's powerful, it should be fine. It wasn't. It broke my computer, but I was able to get back to it. So, yeah. and it reminded me, Windows Eight is really good and gets shit on unfairly. Yeah, just because an OS had like a bad initial release doesn't mean that it's always yeah. going to be a bad OS. And from what I used of it, I also thought Windows Ten looked really cluttered, and a lot of apps are not made for it yet, and it just was a kind of ugly. So. Again, initial OS releases yeah. like they're like never good. They're no, never good. They're never good. Oh well. Don't do it. Don't do Wait. it. Wait. There's no reason, like, there's no, in, like, world-ending benefit of, like, yes, finally Windows 10 is here. I can do all these things that I could do before because it's an OS. It just enables, like, the stuff I've always been doing. It might make some things slightly more convenient. It probably will yeah. make more things way more of a pain in the ass for a while. So, final thoughts on Arkham Knight? It's a fucking amazing game. Amazing game. Like, like, figuring out what my top ten games of the year are going to be is going to be a huge fucking pain in the ass. Because there have been way too many really great games 
already, and it's not even fucking fall season yet. List some of those because I feel like I haven't played a lot this year. I mean, new stuff. I've I mean, for the big, the biggest one for me is Witcher Three because it's, it's like Witcher Three, Bloodborne, and Arkham Knight are okay. all three for me. Like they could be tied like, for number yeah, one. like like ten out of ten games basically for me, like five stars. It's like it's gonna be a harsh fight, and even like smaller stuff like Galaxy is like really pushing okay. for me. Like, and then like we have like Persona Five might come out. We, we have no yeah. idea. Sure. They they fucking said it. They said it like two days ago. At least USA was like, it's gonna happen. I don't know why they, they it's gonna happen. They should probably just say a day at this point. But then obviously, like Fallout Four is also like on the horizon. That yeah. looks like it's gonna be really good. No, I agree. I mean, there's two, it's kind of funny Metal because Gear Solid Five. This is like a black sheep. Like who knows. That game could be fucking anything as far as I know. Uh, the trailers are so good for it. Yeah. I am excited. Any, although, here's the thing. I will say after playing the games, how has there not been more uproar that they recast David Hayter? That is a fucking crime. I, I'm i going to say something you might not like. I don't think he sees a very good... I, I, I don't know about... I'm not going to say he's not a very good voice actor. I'm going to say I don't think, in general, he pulls in a very good performance as Snake. Other than I, Metal Gear Solid 1, I think was his best performance. I think Metal Gear Solid 3, it feels like he's straining a little too hard with that voice. I think he's really good in it. But I, it's not necessarily that the performance is great. Because it's like an older era of voice acting. It's, intention, it's cheesier, and yeah. I think it's intentionally a little cheesier. I just think, I associate, I think that voice is so distinct. It, creates, it summons that character so well. And I've played Ground Zeroes, and I know... So it's Kiefer Sutherland now, which yeah. I just think is an enormous miscast, because all I can hear is Jack Bauer. And it... I don't know. It takes away a little bit of what I find fun about Snake. Like, it, it just feels like... I don't know. Like, I can't imagine that voice coming out of a video game character in 2015. You know? Like, it's just like... Video games and video game voice acting has changed so much in, like, just, like, the past three years. Like, the average quality that's, like... You just can't have that like voice come out of that uh, character. I anymore. guess. The like, other, I don't but, necessarily think getting Kiefer Sutherland was like the right solution to it. But, but again, this is also the last game. Let him finish the damn thing. He's done the whole thing. I think he's been yeah. good at it. They also didn't change the other actors, and they sound like Metal Gear actors, except for Master Miller. Still sounds like Master Miller in Ground Zero. Except for there's one character that does not have the same voice actor before. Do you know who's playing Revolver Ocelot in Metal Gear Solid Five? Oh, am I gonna like this? You're, yes, I I really like it. What is? Take it? one guess at like Troy Baker. Yes. Oh my Troy god, Troy Baker <laughs> is fucking Revolver Ocelot in Metal Gear Solid Five. They even like a little bit kind of changed the way the character looks. That he kind of looks like Troy Baker now. Too. That's great. It's like the idea of Troy Baker delivering Kojima dialogue is fucking like That's it amazing. is going to be his greatest trial as a voice actor of all time. You have to fucking deliver the most insane goddamn shit. Yeah. Ever as like one of the most ridiculous characters in the history of fucking video games. That's actually good because the other Revolver Ocelot voices have been awful. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I just also think with the general self-aware tone of the games, I kind of like it to be a little campier. But we'll see. Phantom yeah, again, Pain. like it's just something where like MGS Five is such a huge question mark to me because it's like I agree. Like the campiness is the only thing that like if Metal Gear did not have that, I would fucking hate it. Like it, like that campiness is the one thing that makes like the tonal dissonance of it work in a lot of ways. That it's like, but Metal Gear Solid Five. It's like I feel like we're in a different era now. Like it's harder to with like the way that video games look, like the way that like productions have inflated and stuff. It, it, it's like the idea of like a new James Bond movie trying to be like one of the old silly James Bond movies. It's like it's a different market. It's a different tone. It's I agree. I I also think it's, but I think Skyfall, for instance, is a great case study in how you can walk that line because, for instance, Quantum of Solace 
is not a very good James Bond movie because it tried so hard just to imitate what other things were doing and just be part of the general homogenous blur that was like the action pl- movies. Yeah. Post, Post-Jason Bourne action movie, yeah, yeah, specifically. Yeah. It was trying to do the shaky cam stuff that only the Jason Bourne movies did well. Yeah, basically. I recently rewatched those. Those are phenomenal movies, yes, and are. I think they're maybe underrated even, how good they are. Yeah. But especially the second and third ones. Oh, yeah. my God. Bruce Bruce is Super. fucking like, one of my favorite action movies. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I said on Twitter, and I think this could honestly, I would have to think about this, Bourne Ultimatum might be my favorite like American franchise movie of the 2000s. Because really? you take um, out Lord of the Rings of the Equation, it's been a it's long so time since I've seen it. Because I only saw it once in the theaters. I'll have to rewatch all the As a trilogy capper, it does what most trilogy cappers do poorly, like the absolute qualitative inverse of that. It's right. amazing. But anyway, um, but you know, it was trying. Quantum of Solace was trying to beat that, and that was bad. And then Skyfall, it's more serious than past James Bond movies, but it also allows itself to be fun in a way that I think you have to for it to be James Bond. And yeah. I hope Metal Gear Solid Five doesn't lose that quality. Um, because I don't want everything to be homogenized under yeah. whatever our current tone is, and I—I I mean, let's be—I I, want to be clear about this. Like, Metal Gear Solid Five is going to be pretty silly a lot of the time. Of course, like, it will be. Like, yeah. you are fucking straight up attaching like parachutes, like deployable parachutes, to sheep that are being shot up into the air and captured by your like like airplane yes. to be taken back to your fucking mother base to be like converted into like a generic resource. Like, that is a completely insane fucking thing to put in your yeah. video game. I love that it's there. So. Yeah. Anyway. But, like, I think the story stuff for me with Metal Gear Solid Five is, like, a big... Question mark. Yeah, like, of like I, I have no idea what to expect well, in terms I mean, of, like, the tone he's going to strike with it. I agree. And although I will say, organ- in the overall, like, mythos of the universe and where the big boss story has been heading, yeah. if they want this one to be dark, they've earned that yeah, it's, that yeah, it's the one place where you can, like, if you want to get serious with Metal Gear, yeah, like... This big boss in it. the era where he's like doing all his Leon Fon and like setting up Outer Heaven like that shit's fucking dark and, and, I, and I think it's a cool part of it like I'm excited to get to Peace Walker because I've it's, always heard yeah, that one's good it's like it's the story that like Metal Gear feels like it's always been wanting to tell it's just like the big boss shit is like the coolest shit in Metal Gear and everything else feels like it's just kind of like basking in this really cool idea of a story that has not been told yet that like Metal Gear Solid 5 could be like one of the best games ever like if they fucking nail it yeah. it could also be like it just annoying intolerable piece of shit like I have no idea well and here's the question do you think it made it through development okay with all the shit at Konami I think so like because it seems to me that like the Konami implosion kind of happened at the tail end of development you know and Kojima was still in control until the end right yeah Yeah. I don't think you could possibly like wrest control of a Metal Gear game away from Kojima's hands like the guy seems like it seems like he is eternally reluctant to work on Metal Gear and like eternally just like defiant. It's like I've like I don't want to make this game, but if I'm going to make this game, I'm just gonna fucking make it, man. Yeah. Like that's how Kojima do. Well he always say nothing else. That dude goes big or goes home. Always goes big. <laughs> and now I, I now that I've played these, I also think it is a national tragedy that Silent Hills is not happening. Yeah. Because PT was like pure Kojima but concentrated in a way that yeah. like was really compelling. I would have loved to see what the fuck he was going to do with Silent yeah. Hills. Oh well. Now he can. I don't yeah. know what he'll do next. Yeah, that's maybe he'll just go do what he's always really wanted to do and just go make a fucking movie. It feels like that's always been like what he really actually wanted to do, and he fucked up by making like this really successful, like like endlessly successful video game franchise that he just was like shackled to. It's like, no, also- I just want to make a movie. I fucked up. I also thought this the other day while playing 3, if if they ever want to make a good James Bond game again, 
let Hideo Kojima make a James Bond game and give him complete control and, and we'll have James Bond with nano machines and shit but fuck it he would get it he yeah. would know how to do it so no, like imagine him... like odd job like revolver ocelot style just like spinning his hat constantly Indeed. like every single scene he's in is just like five minutes longer than it needs to be because he's doing all this twirly shit yep. you're just like dude give it a rest like this would be okay the first time you were introduced you don't need to do this in every fucking scene you're in, and then do your ear like, haha, and point at the fucking big boss. Yeah, I never. As you leave. Yeah. <laughs> fucking. I love Metal Gear Solid Three, one of my favorite games ever. I hate all the stuff with Ocelot yeah. in that game. It's it's some of it's okay, but like if it were just the first scene where Snake suggests he use a revolver, that's kind of fun. Yeah. Then there's like, and that's kind of fun, but. <laughs> what the fucking? Okay, we're gonna have to stop this podcast soon. Let's just say one thing. The, probably the, the the best scene in Metal Gear Solid 3 is when the pain comes in in the middle of the fight with Ocelot and he's spinning his revolvers and hitting the bees and the bees are falling to the ground. Like, what the fuck is even happening in my life right now? Like, what am I as a human being doing watching this complete fucking nonsense? Alright, so... A lot of stuff coming up on the horizon. I mean, from here to the end of the year, it is a marathon. There's so many games coming out. I'm already picking and choosing, like, which which three am I going to have time to play? Yeah, basically, I'm in the same boat. Uh, yeah, like, I, I, I probably am not going to get to Fallout 4 this year, for instance. I just, that's probably a January game for me. Yeah, um, I because, wouldn't blame Because I can play, like, two short campaigns yeah. instead of playing one Fallout 4. I don't know. Yeah. Um... Yeah, fuck. So. Like Destiny: The Taken King is coming out soon. I'm yeah, really I don't even, about that. Yeah, that's that seems like that's we didn't talk. They replaced Peter Dinklage. This yeah, is so with amazing. Nolan North. Yeah, this is so amazing. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I'm actually super excited about the Taken King just because, yeah. like, it seems like they are Bungie is like committed to to recognizing that like Destiny, it was not what it needed to be. Like, it, like it has a huge amount of untapped potential, and they are just like making the hard fucking cuts that they need to make. That's yeah. like. The Dinklage thing didn't work. Like, I thought the performance was fine, but, like, it was fucked from the beginning because you have this game that you need to keep on making content for, and the main character in the game is voiced by this big, like, A-list, like, up-and-coming celebrity voice actor. You can't do that. You need, like, someone like Nolan North who can, like, come in when you need him to come in and deliver the performance that you need him to deliver. And it's also an actual voice actor and knows what he's doing, you know? I love Peter Dinklage, but I do think at least part of that is uncomfortability with that format. Yeah. Yeah, so. like acting and voice acting are two different professions. Yeah. And I'm excited to see if Nolan North can make this an actual character, if the writing can make it an actual yeah. character. And just, it feels like the game is going to be a very different game come yeah. September. Yeah, in a way that's exciting because it has that sort of MMO quality of like, even if you don't buy the Taken King, there's going to be a huge amount of stuff that for, like for Destiny is going to fucking change it for you the day yeah. that expansion drops. Because like, the way they're like handling like bounties and quests and like weapon progression like light levels are being like thrown the fuck out and like we're just making it a level cap to 40 and it's just you're just doing XP like normal like they're making so many changes that like I'm so happy that Destiny is going to continue being like an incredibly bizarre and strange yeah. experiment in, in video game design but there's that there's Halo 5 there's Tomb Raider there's Fallout 4 there's there's more than there's there super- is Persona 5 might be a question mark but Persona 4 Dancing All Night is not that's yeah. coming out I'm going to fucking play that game oh hell yeah that'll be an episode of this podcast yes for sure um, got too much stuff I'm also writing my master's thesis and graduating this fall yeah. you're graduating right yep okay so this is all gonna be crazy but the podcast will help keep us sane hopefully or it will be this like shackle that like pulls us down who knows we'll find out yes on the next Weekly Stuff Podcast Dun, dun, dun.
same podcast time, same podcast channel.